Alright everybody, welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast in association with Doof Media. Doof Media. I don't know if we're in, asso- oh, don't don't know know we're in association with or a, a subsidiary of or... Wholly owned. Whatever, kind of, yeah. Yeah, whatever the... the Loyal like. subjects of... I like that one. Alright, so quick couple of announcements. Uh, I wanted to plug really quick that Elliot and Ruben, the guys who uh, currently do Media MD and just finished up Deep Impact, also on the Doof Network... Uh, their next podcast that they're going to do is called Game Club, which is right up my alley. I think it's going to be monthly. I forget. It's, I think it's still hashing out the details. Every some weeks, they're going to take votes and then play a video game and then talk about that. Have they picked the first is, one yet? Not yet. They're still doing votes. So... Uh, you, you can vote over on the Doof Discord um, under the Game Club's channel. And I put in that they should play Horizon Zero Dawn. I think it might have been already on the list. Uh, After you vote, you get to see what else is already on there. But anyway, that podcast sounds awesome. That's exactly the kind of thing I would be doing if I wasn't doing this and my other podcast. Um, And I don't have... And holding on a job. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know how Scott Daly does it. I think he does like three or four a week and a job. So, um, I mean, I've got way too much TV to watch to make that happen. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um. So anyway, yes, do keep your eyes open for Game Club coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, I don't, I, it's not on uh, doofmedia.com yet, but it is discussed over on the Discord, which you can access for the low, low, low price of a buck a month. So other than that, quick reminder that we have Cron Oblivion on for our next episode. Uh, know, we're going to do, cool. yeah, the book two retro. That's chapters 22 through 37. And then the week after that, we're going to do chapter 47, which is just one chapter, but it's kind of long and it'll be a nice way to kind of ease us back into doing this. We're also recording this one like five days later than usual. So trying to get back on schedule here. So anyway, other than that, I'm out of uh, administrative notes. So I'm ready to dive in. We should talk about a book. Yeah, this, let's talk about this book, specifically chapters 44 through 46. What do you think, Brian? This is the rest of the humanism arc. Humanism. I, um, I, so I still liked it, and I like that we're more like in a, like there's more story going on. So still that. I think um, I didn't like it as much. Maybe that's just because in comparison, um, it didn't have the awe factor of the first one. It's still a little bit. Uh, and I guess we'll get in a little bit. Of, I'm going to get some uh, hate chat. Uh, about my reaction to the uh, to the ginormous Patronus um, scene, but it was still good, I think, and overall, and um, and we're still in the like, oh, okay, I'm liking this new uh, the new thrust to the way that the story's going. But I think probably like the the short version would be good, but but not as good as the as what we just came over. Right on. I'll be good to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think. I like the all that kind of the part that you said about how there's more story going on because yeah, this is. I mean, it's been original the whole time and then like diverging a bit here and there but this is this is all brand new you know stuff this isn't like hey remember like when this kind of happened in yeah. uh book two or whatever so th- this is all yeah, homegrown organic fan fiction which i can enjoy yeah. so. and it's nice like it's got that feeling in a story where like the story has taken on a life of its own like you get the feeling like this was i mean it's all planned but like this is sort of it's got its own momentum and this is kind of where the story wanted to go. And then you don't feel so much like there's some sort of like intent around building a plot or whatever. It's just kind of, it has come to life on its own and it's steering itself. 
Yeah. yeah. And not like the, and because the characters have been established and the interactions between the characters have been established and, and we're, you know, and the, the kind of conflicts and the mysteries about what the fuck is going on with Coral and like all this stuff is in place now. And now it's just sort of like, okay, now that we've got all those toys wound up and in the arena, where do they go when they bump into each other? I really like that, that take on it. And it is, it is nice too that, uh, um, oh man, I had a thought and I just lost it. It's probably worth saying because I was, I told, I was saying to Brian before we recorded that I wasn't going to do anything about our current pandemic and isolation and stuff, but I haven't left the house in like, I think I've went to the store twice in the last month and I'm kind of losing my mind. So my head isn't totally in anything right now, but I'm doing my best. Oh, see, so. this is what I've been training for all my life. <laughs> this is, I, I excel at this. I already I work from home. I don't like going outside and talking to people. I get moonburn. I get <laughs> moonburn. <laughs> I... Uh, I, I previously worked from home three days a week and I do, but I like the, the occasional interaction. Like we, you know, we usually, or we, for a while we were doing game night and alternate Fridays at Inyash's and we didn't go last night cause, uh, you know, it's just risky. Cause it would like, and like explicitly illegal. But that too. Yeah. Should we just Colorado not, not admit lockdown. to like how close we all got to just deciding, ah, fuck it, let's do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, we were basically Sanity right there, but, prevail, but one of our members, uh, significant others works in a hospital. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably the deal breaker. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm just uh, getting a little starved for doing things, but um, I'm still capable of having fun. And to pat, I all right, last bit of meta chatter, then we'll dive into this stuff. <laughs> I bought Animal Crossing for the Switch, and I've been I've been putting hours into that game for the last Is couple of days, and I love it. Yeah, it's great. I, don't know, it's I also played the 2016 Doom for free on the uh, whatever PlayStation Now service. <laughs> uh, so if you sign up for the week free trial, you can play the 2016 Doom, which was great for all of the 15 hours that that game lasted. Um, <laughs> I like you can play in harder modes and come back to it. And I told you, see, I'd be doing a video game podcast if I wasn't doing this. But I will say that the game like was engaging, fast paced, and you had to have skill and you know a handful of varieties of weapons and, and environments. So it was a lot of fun. Um, it's still full on really... like Twitch. That's my point. Like I find foosball is too twitchy for me. So, uh, probably. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, you know, sw- swinging around and making sure you can whatever hit the thing fast enough and this and that. But, um, you know, it gets the job done. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we are talking about humanism part two. So yeah, we, haven't, we haven't even gotten into the, into the plot. So somebody was talking about actually what I was just thinking as we were talking about, like, Oh, a lot of stuff happens in the story. This is another one of those times where like very, there's actually not a, if you think on it, uh, not a lot of plot actually happens in these three chapters, but there's lots to talk about. Um, and then it occurred to me, I could sum up like everything that happens. So what, what happens is Harry wakes up from his, like he wakes up from being the Dementor. We got left on that being the Dementor by getting smacked by the Dementor. We got that like cliffhanger. Being demented. Yeah, being demented. His dementation, as you say. So he's waking up and we got left with that cliffhanger where he just says, you're annoying and you should die. Um, so he wakes up. He's all jacked up and depressed and evil. And then Hermione like gets him better. Then everybody kind of goes away. And then he says, oh, I think I want to take on the Dementor myself. And then he kills the Dementor. And what am I forgetting at the last part? And then he just kind of uh, talks to Coral about it. Like that's everything that like that's the entirety of these three chapters. There's like so much to talk about. Um, but as far as plot, that's like, and those are all super significant. But like that wasn't a lot of plot to explain. So, all right, so I'm not the English major. So plot, 
So plot is the stuff that happens. Yeah, just like the things. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I can I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Then I really think you know if you if you like being able like to drag out uh, something that you could summarize in two sentences, but absolutely is not done justice in two sentences. Um, if anyone's not listening to We've Got Worm uh, or We've Got Ward, uh, Ward's wrapping up, it seems like, so it's a good time to jump on that. But We've Got Worm did the same thing, but they would do several chapters more at a time, so there was a bit more plot stuff to cover. But it's amazing because, like, the last six chapters or so have been they've been fighting this world ending monster. And, like, if you're going to be tongue in cheek, that summarizes what's going yeah, on plot wise. But holy shit, there's so much more going on there, and it's great. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, and they like they they're kind of like separate scales. Like a lot can happen, and there's not a lot to talk about, or a little can happen, and there's a lot to talk about. Because um, I, I think we had other you know parts like this where you know a lot goes on. It's not not even that, that it's necessarily bad. It's just like is there meat there to talk about? Because it's not always necessarily about like a thing happened. Because um, like these, these were like big big things, and these were big moments. But um, and a lot to talk about, but not. You know, as far as yeah, you could rattle it off in thirty seconds, like I did. Well, so, let's let's take a little more than thirty seconds right. and do a deeper dive. So, this one opens up with uh, Fox uh, not being able to reach Harry through. I liked the um, the phrasing the the meaningless chirps slid off the emptiness. There was nothing mm-hmm. onto which they could hold, and like the first time that he's exposed to the Song of the Phoenix, he described it like they had a, a MDMA trip. And oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, so they're because they could, you know, grasp onto whatever the warmth and happiness in you and kind of just yeah. make that stronger. And there's nothing for it to do to Harry right now. So, yeah, and I liked it. It was, a good, sp- it was a good description because it's because like the, the Phoenix is, and we're already sort of, we've got enough background that Fox is, you know, there's a lot of power there. So it's not like, oh, this thing's more powerful than him. It's, it's like there's nothing even for him to engage to like use his juice on. Um, and that's sort of like, and that ties in well with like kind of the way, like the deadness to the way this is described. I really liked how, how his sort of like dead coldness uh, was described in the beginning of this. And that's sort of like the problem for like any, like nothing can reach him. Yeah. There was that line that you pulled out after, uh, uh, so he gets a Patronus from Flitwick and then swears. And then, uh, you've grabbed the quote where he says the empty thing laughed at that for it, for it had retained the capacity to be amused. Yeah. I like that. I mean, kind of, well, Get in. I, I like my my uh, my take on a lot of this was I really like the um, authenticity is coming. Yes, authentic, but the just the believability of the descriptions of this like cold, depressed, like dejected and like underlying evil kind of state that he's in. It like really felt like it can't. <laughs> I don't want to, this sounds wrong, but uh, just that like this felt very experienced. And uh, people hate when I'm getting in the head of the author. This felt like his is like really like he's describing an experience that he himself has. And so it's one of those like showing, not telling, um, where this is this feels like more personal and not kind of like an invention. Um, and so and when stuff like that happens, you can sort of like really tell like the the kind of sincerity of the thing underneath. So I really like that. It was really well done. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I like that. I don't know. Um if there's anything authorial coming in there, you know, to like Harry's demented state, or if he's just imagining what it would be like to be incapable of happiness and he's able to imagine that successfully. Yeah. I guess, Um, I mean, and I, and I had like thought, I'm like, I don't know, just to make sure it doesn't sound like I'm being accusatory. Like I've been 
successfully treated for clinical depression for a long time. Yeah, success, quote, successfully. Um, but so for me, like reading this, like the darkness to this, I'm like, ah, this is somebody who knows this. Um, and that was like my guess, knowing nothing is like, oh, this is somebody who's also like actually like had to deal with because there's sort of like, oh, I'm sad and depressed. And then there's this like, oh, this is the monster I live with. Um, and it really felt like, oh, this is somebody that knows that. Um, nice. I know, I know that he knows people who have it. Yeah. Maybe he's just empathetic that way. I don't know. For me, I, you know, I, maybe it just seems like one out of every two people I know, but also having yeah. diagnosed clinical depression, I, when I'm in the more grips of it, I don't retain the capacity to be amused. So, oh, really? <laughs> uh, well, me, I and mean, it's this like, well, and that's what I like liked about it is because it's this very like superficial evil kind of amused, like, like not like a joyless kind of amused. Um, and that, and it's, and it's sort of like in sort of the way I will kind of be dismissive of my own sense of humor is that there is, there's like a defensiveness and a, and a kind of lack of humanity to an element of it. Um, yeah, so, no, I, I hear what you're saying. For, for me, it's more just like a distance from everything. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, I recognize that that's cool. Yeah. I, I know well, it's another in, mind in state, the way I that, appreciate like, that. The, in the way that humor can be used to hold everything up, apart. Like, uh, like nothing, everything's just sort of funny, but nothing really matters. Um, I hear you. And that's, so that, yeah, and that was like one thing, uh, you know, and a few different things like this. Oh, and it reminded, yeah, I had my notes here. It reminded me, it's kind of like in a different way, but um, the end to Stranger in a Strange Land um, is like the, like the, almost like the punchline, if you will, um, to it is Valentine Michael Smith is the main character. And he's, he was a human raised on Mars by Martians who are these sort of like mysterious, like spirit animal things uh, that we don't know anything about. But like one of his things, he's sort of like naively non-human, like doesn't understand so many things about being human. And the big one is like he, the whole book, he doesn't understand humor. Uh, and the end of the book is him finally getting it. But it's this weird kind of him getting it where he's like watching like monkeys fighting and like and, and monkeys being cruel to one another is, is the thing that he sees. And so it's this very not funny thing, this sort of like tragically sad thing he's seeing because it's kind of like they're replaying like abusing one another kind of thing. Like one monkey abuses another one and that monkey learns to just abuse somebody below him. And so it's this like really sad thing. And that's the thing that makes the guy start cracking up laughing. And people are like that you've completely misunderstood humor. He's like, no, I get it now. Humor is about things that hurt. Um, and so that's what that, this reminded me of. It's like, like Harry's in this like completely dark, like evil place because he's just been sort of taken over by the Dementor. But humor's still there because humor, humor gets along just fine with dark and pain. So Damn, that's, that's, that's a heavy line too. Humor's mm. about things that hurt. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I should have gone back and like actually read. There was actually, as I recall, a good quote that that went with it but yeah it was this and because it was like the the disconnectedness or the 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 unintuitiveness of the realization that anything you find funny underneath it somewhere has something that hurts um, there's a great ted talk by an edgy comedian that i like edgy in the sense that he makes offensive jokes but um i will see if i can find that uh and remember his name yeah i'll see if i can find that i mean it's it's you'll have to you have to see his comedy to appreciate it but it, it, it talks about the same thing like yeah the butt i mean the butt of every joke has a butt to it and it's it's <laughs> It's usually somebody or a group of people. Um, a lot of good comedy is like self-depreciating, so you're the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Kyle Kinane, there's a quick one by him. He's like, you ever, uh, well, how am I? Eh, we're getting too far afield. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it basically when Dumbledore uh, put gets the message from Flitwick, he, uh, he says to Harry, chocolate, you need chocolate and your friends and then he grabs him and they teleport back in a flash of fox teleporting fire. And um, the the whole chapter is 
like or the rest of the chapter is from like Hermione's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it I think it does a good job painting the atmosphere of like what it's like to be near Harry right now. Yeah. So like they show they show up and then like the first thing Harry says is go away and yeah. said a voice so empty it wasn't even cold. And then the there's like a dot 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 and then Everything seemed to freeze. Everyone who had been moving towards Harry halted. All movements broken by the shock of those two dead words. Yeah. Then, I really like, there's like very much, I'm just stepping on you quoting it, but like the, like the vibe I got was very exorcist. Like Harry is, and Hermione says that in a little bit, like, oh, he's not himself, but. Um, right. Yeah, it was really powerful. Yeah, in the way, especially because the words he used, he wasn't like being super, uh, you know, inflammatory or like melodramatic in the words he used. They were things like go away. Um which sort of like added to the sense of it, just kind of the deadness of the whole thing. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, I, even on my first read, there was never like any concern that Harry was going to spend the rest of this, the book this way. Mm-hmm. Um, like we knew it was going to work out somehow, but it's still like, I don't know, uh, chilling. And I think that that's, yeah. that was even conveyed on a reread where it's just like, damn. And it's not just chilling inside Harry's head, but it's enough to where like, it's, you know, permeating everybody in there. They can see, uh, that this, you know, that he's not who who they know. Yeah, and, and there's it, like a sense that it's the, like he's completely engulfed in it. It's not, it's like not so much like oh here's Harry in a you know dark place and suffering. It was more like Harry's gone now. Harry's not here anymore, Mrs. Twin. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so that kind of made it even kind of more like kind of ominous and and like just sort of freaky because like the complete disconnect like oh yeah that's his voice and him talking and even like words that he might use but so like there's just no human there anymore yeah i i agree i like that um it goes on to then where uh dumbledore says phileas call minerva tell her she must come at speed which i I also just like, because that sounds like wise old wizard I know, speak. he does a really good job of, like, capturing that. Uh, yeah. yeah, he does, like, j- in dialogue in general in this book has been has been really good. He captures, like, either he'll, like, because, like, Quirrell has no point, like, the original, the Quirrell from the original books is completely kind of irrelevant. Um, but he's got, like, he really establishes kind of a voice for the way for the way he talks. So either, like, the new characters that he invents, he gets good dialogue to capture that character that he's trying to make. Or for, like, I think he also does a really good job with McGonagall, where, like, that's very much how she talks in Dumbledore, I think, too. Like, like that tell her she must come at speed, that's totally a line. That, that, that is the way Dumbledore talked. So yeah, if, I had, if I'd asked you before you read this chapter, I was like, hey, here's a line. Guess who yeah. said it? You probably would have guessed Dumbledore. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it, it's it's fun because like that's that's what I like about like uh, without the proper vocabulary to articulate it. That's what I like about strongly written characters is that you can think, okay, what would this character do in that situation? Yeah. And you would have a good guess, yeah. or or you can say, hey, here's what happened. Guess who was involved? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I bet it was these two. And you're like, yep, exactly. Yeah, because, and, yeah, because like that character has become like three dimensional. Exactly. Like, like, yeah. say, like they have their own reality now, and you can sort of ask it. Yeah, and everybody in the story has that, or every main character does anyway, and I really like that about it. Yeah. Um, there's also like the nice little, uh, well, nice is a funny word for it. Um, Dean Thomas asks, like, what can we do? And back off and do? give him more space, says Quirrell. And, and then Dumbledore says, no, let him be surrounded by his friends. But it's just like two completely opposite mm-hmm. suggestions. Uh, Quirrell's whole thing is like, yeah, give him some space. He's, you know, he wants space to so give it to him. And Dumbledore is like, no, fuck that. He's got friends. Everyone get in here. And everybody say something nice that you like about Harry. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I think that might have been the next thing that they were going to do. But then Harry says, they're stupid. They should die. And then before he can finish the word die, he's choking on another piece of chocolate that I'm, I'm not sure who's magically shooting it into his mouth. But at the beginning. <laughs> that would be a weird visual. Well, I think that's what was happening. Exactly. Yeah. But at the beginning, Hermione was rushing over trying to bring him chocolate, but then chocolate flies off the table and into his yeah, mouth. She's like irritated that it couldn't be her. Yeah. That's hardly fair. Yeah. yeah. I like to like the way, the way he's talking, like, cause he says multiple things about it. It's like something, something they should die. And there's something where like those words are put it like they should die is a pretty like hardcore thing to be saying, but there's something almost trivial about the way he's saying it, which like then kind of did the opposite, opposite, like the sort of childish, childishness of the way he was saying it made it seem worse for some reason, maybe just because of the, the contrast between the way it was said and, and the, and what it meant. But like there was something just sort of like a threatening childishness to the way he said it that made it like creepier. I think what made it creepier for me was that it wasn't like, oh no, they're getting in my way, so I want to kill them. It's like, no, nope, they're stupid. They should just die. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. It, it's just it's, sort of like all things should just die. Like, you know, yeah, it's something, like the something they should die. Like they should just die is the answer to like half the things you might think. Yeah, it's it's like the emptiest way to think about it. It's not like for an instrumental purpose. It's like, eh, they're annoying. They should yeah. not not they should go away. Not they should become less annoying. It's like, no, they should just die. Annoying. Yeah, things, I think maybe that, too because the there's that sort of that again, like, that kind of like deadness and and apathy to the whole thing because it didn't sound like, oh, they're annoying. I'm going to kill them. It was just like, oh, they're annoying. They should die because that will just get them to go away. And um, yeah, that like there was just sort of this like complete lack of give a fuck to the whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, yeah, totally. Um, basically, everyone's just horrified by what Harry is when he's like purely in his dark side and it's unfiltered. And, uh, like, so the response to him saying that was, uh, Seamus, and he doesn't mean it, does he? And then there's this nice line from Hermione where it's like, you don't understand, that's not Harry. But she couldn't, then she, it says she shut up before she said anything more, but she had to say that much. And she saw from the look that Neville understood, but also that others didn't. Yeah, um, and that that was based on, it wasn't just like, oh, Harry's good and you guys are misunderstanding. It was that she had also been in there with the Dementor, not like in there with Harry, but like she had an understanding of what Harry just went through that other people didn't. I think that's a big part of it. And the other the other part is that like she knows about his dark side. And like, so that's what's talking right, right now. It's purely Harry's mysterious dark side. Although in a way, and like that, if you say like, oh, that's his dark side. Well, that kind of is Harry or, I mean, yeah, there's the whole like, okay, where does that dark side come from thing? But, but still it's not like, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. totally. It, it, it's a part of him, but it's like the unfiltered, you know, it's like whenever yeah. he's, you know, previously we've seen him do his dark sidey business, like, all right, cool. I'm going to get all cold and calculated. And like, how am I going to protect Neville right now? Um, when it's when it's uninstrumental and it's just purely like, all right, I'm gonna be just this you know cold calculating monster. Um, it's it's a whole different kind of it. It like it's been described as scary before, but this is like I don't know. It's the the difference in scary between like uh, I don't I'm like the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's scary not not because he's big and strong and and evil, but he's he's just purely chaotic evil yeah, yeah. and unpredictable uh, and yeah, yeah more like the commitment to the evilness yeah anyway yeah. um so there's the the then the, i like the moment next a lot where she's thinking about uh you know does the headmaster know about this and she looks up at the headmaster and found that apple stumbledore was gazing at her and that his blue mm-hmm. eyes had grown suddenly piercing 
and words came into her mind. And he, there's like this exchange where he's like, do not speak of, do not speak of it. And she says, you know about his dark side. He says, I know. Uh, but that, you know, Fox's song could not reach him where he's lost. And they, what I like is just, I didn't, I don't think this was. He seems to say like, it's even like this is like the dark side. Like this is something bigger. And like when he's saying beyond even that, he's saying beyond his dark side in a way that like, okay, the dark side isn't that big a deal then. So I'm still not sure what to make of all this, but yeah, that's what it. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I think um, that's I, I was just hung on the fact that it seems like this is the kind of thing that from what we knew about legitimacy before now sounds like it should have been possible, but we never thought about. Um, yeah. But yeah, just straight up telepathy. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. Now, was it in the back of your head, too, though? It's like, uh, dude, Dumbledore, this is not cool. <laughs> like, you're not allowed to just kind of like hop into people's heads. I, I got the impression that he's not digging through her mind right now. And he's just purely pro- like, you know. Charles Xavier shouting thoughts at her. Well, but no, right. because it, like she says nothing because, um, but if that person was already there, does the headmaster know? And the thought Dumbledore sticks in her head is do not speak of it. And, like, oh, yeah. So he had, yeah, he, for him to know what to say, he's not speaking of, he had to just be kind of eavesdropping. Well, so, in, in Dumbledore's defense, there's another line, um, like earlier in the story where he says people often mistake legitimacy for, or common sense for legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, he, he could have just deduced that without, well, yeah, but that's kind of it's like if he's just deducing based on nothing that she's thinking about the dark side that he knows about, like, yeah. Oh, and there, there is a thought. Yeah, that, you're right. He is, he is reading her thoughts yeah. as they're coming up because there's later on in their internal or in their silent dialogue, yeah. uh, there's this line where, um, I mean, when we get to it, we'll get to it, but uh, where he, he, she half forms a thought and then he says, I don't think that'll work. Mm. But she hadn't finished thinking it yet. Yeah. So you're right. He, he is reading her thoughts, yeah. not just like the ones that she thinks out loud, right? And we still, I mean, and we get an ambivalent read of this though, because like even the first time in the Defense Against the Dark Arts class, when we see that he's doing this, we're not, it's not completely like, oh, this is evil. He shouldn't do it. It's like, okay, that's definitely wrong that you're doing it, but his motivations are good, probably good, but he's being a little fast and loose with how to do it. And so it's still kind of, it's not like you don't like immediately judge to like, you know, oh, yeah. condemning yeah, I, the whole I, thing. Yeah, I remember having a discussion with some people in the Discord about like the invasiveness when he did that to Harry in the Defense Against the Dark yeah. Arts class. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like breaking and entering into someone's house, but you're just oh, yeah. checking for a murderer that you thought might be there and then you leave. Uh, like, is it wrong? I, I guess. Yeah. But like, it's, you're, like, you're, it's definitely got- not okay. Like, it would be better if you could do it without doing that. And so maybe yeah. it's but maybe justifiable, but definitely not okay. And I, I think that's it's perfectly it's coherent thought to say yeah. it is uh, like not an okay thing to do, but also the bet, but also the best thing to do, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean some, sometimes your your best choice isn't a good choice. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he, Dumbledore is explaining that he's got a plan, and I I'm, I'm curious in your thoughts on the plan where um, we don't ever hear a plan like Dumbledore's plan, do we? We don't get any sense of like he's just like I have some plan. No, he 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 spells it right out. He says, uh, um, and, and in your defense, we read this like a week ago. Oh, we we're yeah. supposed to record earlier, but um, she, he says, uh, like I've got a plan, and she says, what sort of plan? It is better that you not know. And she's like, okay, oh, well, yeah. you know, now now you know, I'm getting really nervous, and I don't know how much you know about his dark side. And he says, all right, fair enough. I'm about to tell you, steal yourself so as not to react. Are you ready? Good. I'm going to pretend to cast the killing curse in Professor McGonagall. Do not react, Hermione. And then... <laughs> it's kind of a very non-sequitur yeah. kind of uh, plan, too. 
Yeah, and that's what she says, basically. It's like, the headmaster was really was crazy. That wouldn't bring Harry out of his dark side. He'd go completely berserk. He'd kill the headmaster. Mm-hmm. And he says, but that is not true darkness. That is protectiveness. That is love. Fox will be able to reach him then. And when Harry sees that Minerva is alive after all, it will return him fully. And then a thought came to Hermione. I doubt that will work, sent the headmaster. But And he may, you may not like the way he reacts if you try, but you may try if you wish. Um and then that's when she breaks eye yeah. contact and looks over at the, the boy looking around with empty, despising eyes as his mouth kept chewing and swallowing bar after bar of chocolate without effect. And, and then she kisses him. Yeah. I like that it, was I mean, the like total like slot. Like it, was, it wasn't at all like we're very much, you know, talk. We're looking at the idea of oh, the romantic kiss that waken, you know, wakes him up from the curse and blah, blah, blah. But like it's sloppy and doesn't at all meet that expectation. Like she gets chocolate all over her face and it's all weird. And um, yeah, it's sort of like we're purposely like making that aspect of it kind of fall on its face. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it, like you said, kind of towed around the, the, the line of that trope. And it's not yeah. like, okay, yep. And it was true love that brought him back because it absolutely wasn't. Yeah. But what worked like, so he's, I, I'm, Harry's little internal dialogue, which is all we get here from him in this, uh, I'm going to just read because it's only like five sentences. There was a compulsion to chew and swallow chocolate. The response to compulsion was killing. People had gathered and stared. That was annoying. The response to annoyance was killing. Other people were chattering in the background. That was insolent. The response to insolence was to inflict pain, but since none of them are useful, killing them would be simpler. Killing all those people would be difficult, but... Many of them did not trust Quirrell, who was strong. Finding exactly the right trigger could cause them all to kill each other. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like chilling like that in his head. Yeah. yeah, in his head, he's working on a way to like actually get them to kill each other yeah. or find some way to get you know some big fight going or something. But then it ends with, Then a person leaned over his field of vision and did something completely strange, something that belonged to a foreign mode of thought for which there was only a single response stored anywhere. And... So like that's that's why it works, not because oh my this this stirred love back into me, mm-hmm. and it's like no this the way I am right now has no way to deal with this. So where where did I have a response for this? And um, then it goes and he pushes her away and says, "I told you, no kissing," which is like a throwback. Although I thought, uh, at throwback, least for me, but. maybe I'm just like being sucked into the cliche too much. But I thought like so. Definitely, and we later get a you know a definite like reinforcement that this is not the build into a romantic thing between Hermione and um, Harry, but that the you are my friend and I care about you and don't want you stuck in this awful place like that was a big part of of how it got him out of there. And there was there was also like okay, I don't know how to interpret this, and also hey, no kissing and. Um, oh, I think that, that's that's why yeah. she did it, but that's not why it worked. Oh, see, I guess uh, I had that it was, that it was but, but definitely not the like oh romantic like true love is going to blah blah blah. But like I am your friend, and I'm not going to let you stay in this dark place. Like that is what how it worked. Maybe not all of it, but that like that was a big important part of it. I think that uh, you know what now that you put it the way, I think you're onto something. Because otherwise, I mean, otherwise, it, it, it doesn't have any it doesn't have any zing if it, all of it was was just some like like you know behavioral psychology trick. It's kind of just. I think it's, that, it's that like kind of I think that that's what Hermione was going for was like I'll try and reach him through like an emotional level by you know physical expression, mm-hmm. and Harry at least in the brief glimpse we get into his into his thoughts it's not like and then suddenly emotions stirred it was just like yep I only have one thought of this and it comes from a from a foreign mode of thought, and so like that his, his like you know no kissing thought came out as like a. Um, 
like a kind of cast response that he had to reach back into his normal self to find or something, right? Uh, but I do like your thing. Like, yeah, it's it's less about like, oh, it's true love, and more about like maybe when that was calculating in him, and it was like, oh wait, like somebody actually cares, and yeah, that it's, and that there's no yeah. like hateful, depressed place to respond. There is no dementory way to respond to being kissed, even if it isn't like you know romantic thing it is a like you know it, it is like a you know a lifeline being cast out and there's no way to just kind of like you know hate back at it um, yeah no yeah. i like that a lot i i also really like the next line it i i'm not really sure why it stands out but maybe you can tell me why it's so then it's another line break and it's it's just kind of back to hermione's point of view for the next two paragraphs but it was i think he'll be all right now the headmaster said looking at where harry was crying in great wretched sobs as fox crooned over him I think <laughs> describing it as great wretched sobs yeah. like just shows how intense this is. Um, it's not him yeah, and just curled that, up in like, a fetal position. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and if you've like been in that like awful place where it's like you were so miserable that you can't even like cry about it, like then finally being able to cry about it just is like such a huge relief. And like I said, so that was kind of my take of the thing. It's like it's that kind of like damn burst. Uh, and yeah, no, like totally. okay now he's back like that's the kind of the human response to everything he's just gone through is to freak the fuck out and be crying and wailing and okay he's doing that sort of like like the baby crying at birth it's like that's the sign that things are okay i i like that yeah and i, I think you're right it is uh the i i don't know something about just the the you know it could have said harry lay crying or something yeah. but was crying in great wretched sobs you're right that that that's what gives it that that damn bursting yeah. intensity to it and yeah i mean i've trying to imagine what's going through harry's head right now like uh he was just in this terrible dark place and now he's out of it and he can realize how bad it was but before Mm. he couldn't realize how bad it was it was just how he was yeah that's hardcore i know that uh rowling wrote dementors as personification of depression um and and i did verify that before recording and uh you know so if you're if you're in the grips of a of of a you know it's different from being sad uh, mm. if you're in the grips of depression, it, it's hard to remember that there's like life outside of that. Yeah. And yeah, then if, if it could just be undone with a snap or with a, you know, with true love's kiss. Yeah. Wouldn't it be um, nice to be like, it's just, you know, all, you just suddenly like just start crying a lot and then everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That'd be cool. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically the end of this one. Um, Dumbledore says, excellently done, Miss Granger. Do you know, even even I would not have expected that to actually work, um, which is, it's kind of, I like that line because it's like him pretending like he didn't know that's what she was going to yeah. do, but he plays it off perfectly. And he it just shows that he's capable of playing off a, a clever deception. Um, yeah, and like, and like calling out that like he knows that he's the, in the happy, fluffy and dark, dark and sad uh, spectrum between him and Quirrell like he's sort of acknowledging that he's on the happy fluffy side but that even for him he didn't think that that, that was too happy and fluffy to work but it did <laughs> right I like that yeah um, and then Hermione says that she knew the Phoenix's song wasn't for her or she's thinking this rather but she could still be soothed by it which she needed because her life was officially over which is kind of <laughs> like a little levity way yeah of ending <clears throat> the chapter because you know grade school kids man they're not going to give you any fucking break <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to like, uh, where would that play? So if they're 11, I mean, it's 11, so 11 is like sixth grade, really, isn't it? Six or seven, I guess. Seven, yes. Yeah. And like Hermione's would, 12, yeah. so sixth or sixth and seventh grade, I guess. So yeah, I mean, like, you, like put your head back into, okay, that's the, 
like that's the dynamic you're dealing with. Like, okay, this would be really weird. Well, um, and I, I think I I still picture them a couple years older, yeah. like cognitively, than the the age that they're depicted as. And I think that's and Harry even goes as close to saying as like as much explicitly. I think in the uh, what uh, chapter forty three, Humanism Part One, where he says that if you look at the maturity of a seventeen year old wizard and a seventeen year old adult, like wizards clearly had the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking like, you know, in like Spartan society, an 11 year old wasn't just, you know, running around and playing with sticks like they were fighting. They were getting their asses beat uh, like in actual pretend, you know, uh, not pretend combat, but um, yeah. what sparring matches and stuff like, you know, there, there yeah. is a, there is a way to make 11 year olds more mature than they are in 21st century America. Yeah. Although I think like this is and I think I've said this before, like for me, like in reality, the way all the kids in the story, because I was also thinking like Draco's not supposed to be, you know, an especially he's not like some uber genius the way Harry and Hermione are, but he's still like way precocious for the age that he's theoretically supposed to be. I think like all the kids in this story are very unrealistically, you know, have an unrealistic level of knowledge and wisdom and maturity, uh, which is like fine. That like that seems to like fit very neatly into my suspension of dis- disbelief. It's like okay, that's totally fine. Like, doesn't bother me at all. I think probably like I read these read their characters as being like late teens most of the time. Um, but then you just sort of like, you know, bolt on top of that. Oh yeah. But there's all of the like interpersonal authority dynamics. So, okay, no, you really are a little kid, but, but the more like, you know, they're like late teens college. Like, I think actually, I think I'd more picture them like college freshmen, um, especially with that, like, you know, think that they know how the whole world works. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think they're trying to. And that try doesn't like it doesn't line. like bot like that doesn't cause really any friction in like my reading of the thing. I think just because that's sort of a very easy kind of thing to to you know suspend disbelief about, especially because it's like sorry, because it's really important for you couldn't really tell this whole story in the mind of an eleven year old because then we'd all have to sort of like you know regress back to the level of complexity of thought that we could handle at eleven years old. Right. Which is kind of like a lot like canonic the the canonical first book, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was adorable and and charming young adult fiction, but it wasn't like, uh, or young adult you know fantasy whatever. But it 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 couldn't tell this story, um, yeah. in the style of the writing of the first Harry yeah. Potter book, right? Yeah, and it's like it's internally consistent. I think it's part of it. Like it doesn't it, it's not like contradicting itself. Um, so it's kind of easy to go along for the ride for that. Yeah. I can take it, but I do like how it kind of goes back and forth between like the very serious moments. And then as we get to the end of the next chapter, or I guess the end of the last chapter of this episode, like it's just kind of like kid stuff again. You just, like, like epi- you just call it an episode. Or are you talking about this the episode. episode, this episode of our podcast? Yeah. Well, cause I, I, podcast. I was just thinking actually like, cause the way these two chapters, the, the drop off from the last chapter and, and the lead into this one also felt very television ish, which I, it's, oh, it's yeah. actually works really well. And it's probably like a factor of this being like serialized as it was, as it was written. But um, this like was another one of those I, good I, like transitions between chapters. I do think that is one of the, um, the things about serialized fiction. I know the only thing that I am aware of, I'm sure there's more. Well, I, I would bet there's more, but I can't think of any. Uh, Andy Weir's The Martian was originally written as a serialized mm. web fiction. And that's why, like, there's so many cliffhangers and why it feels kind of episodic. Um, yeah. And then it, but it transitions to, like, book and then to screen really well. Uh, 
but it, it was written very much like, okay, here's a chapter. Okay, here's a chapter. And then I got to make it so they'll come back for the next one. So here, here's some kind of, you know, edge for them to, to perch on while I get the next one written. Yeah, I wonder if making, um, because what that's making me think I've had as an established thought in my head for a long time that I, so I hate Charles Dickens. I know that's just a fact. Um, but the, I think, I believe a major reason I hate Charles Dickens, like he wrote in lots of tiny little chapters because he also wrote in serialized form. Uh, cause he's just like published in a magazine, I think once a month or something. Um, uh, but it, like, at least for me, it like very much intrudes in the story as the, this is how Charles Dickens was paying his rent. Um, <laughs> and it like sort of like, I feel like almost like insulted and used in reading the story. I'm like, oh, this isn't a story for the sake of the story. This is a story for the sake of paying your rent. So fuck you. Um, and. But now, but now what I'm wondering is it's maybe not so much like the episodicness of it because that does like, because then you can clearly like it's affecting the way that these chapters are transitioning. But I think maybe just because it's not there for the sake of making a buck that then it's okay. Like, like that's just sort of like, okay, that's the reality of, of how this thing is like coming to life. I haven't read The Martian, so I don't know maybe if, like if that, if it did seem oh. like that, that would bother me, but I don't know. No, you owe it to yourself. It's it's a really if you like the movie like, at all, yeah, yeah, and it like everything that the movie did. The book, I mean, this is true of everyone says this, but but I can everyone says that the book is better, but I can say that while it, uh, saying that the movie was great, I really yeah. liked the movie a lot. Um, the the book does you know uh, more deep dives into like when he says I'm gonna science I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. Um, it does more deeper dives on that, and he crowdsourced the science for a lot of that book to make sure that it was right. Oh, that's cool. Um, I know that the I think I mentioned this before. He had like an interview on Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast, and uh, he, Tyson was like, "You know, the uh, the science in this was actually pretty good." And he's like, "Thanks, I wrote it with you ripping it apart in mind, so I wanted to make sure it was right." Because <laughs> Tyson, that's, I, that's something that's I, like part that, that's part of his character that he has to yeah. you know uh, point out all the bad yeah. science and stuff. Yeah, that's something I thought I was thinking about in reading these chapters about the way this is about it, like being not not the serial nature of it, but that um, that this was written in public. Um, and I think that has a lot uh, of effect on on the way on sort of like the emotional content for Harry, because I think like when you're doing this stuff, like a quote regular book um, is kind of like that's a very personal act that the like maybe the author is you know showing it to people as they're writing it to but only to like a select few trusted people, like the the kind of like emotional vulnerability around writing a book if you're if every chapter you're putting out is getting you know, Reddit levels of feedback on it, then you're going to, even if you're trying to consciously like combat that, there's going to be kind of a level of uh, kind of distant safety you're going to stick yourself in. Cause I mean, like nobody can hack that. That's, um, that's, that's rough, man. Um, and I think, so yeah. I think like, no, kind point. of like, then it sort of like herds the, the kind of mental space you're occupying in a kind of a more cerebral, like safe spot because you're kind of having to like any idea you bring forth or even any kind of emotion has to sort of um, be sort of publicly acceptable. Um, not that anyone, like and even, you know, any author writing anything knows that they're like eventually going to public. So that you've got kind of got that in the back of your head anyway, but I think it would be so much louder and in your face um, that, you know, any, any little thing you're writing, you know, that like, okay, I'm about to get the feedback of the unwashed masses uh, especially when you get yeah, it, I know like, that he, feedback, not you don't get it as like a book review or you hear a thing, but it's like you you know if you're hearing back, like at least for me, I know that would completely fuck up my head. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I know that he was very active in the community uh, following the book when he was uh, writing it. Yeah. So like it's it's not like he was able to shield himself from people's yeah. thoughts and criticisms while he was doing it. 
uh, or it's not like he even seems like he tried to, um, that, that is interesting. And I, uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't written anything, so I can't imagine, but I, I, I can guess that doing it this way would be a lot harder for all the reasons you laid yeah. out that. And, cause, like, and you're not going to let yourself like walk down a, like a, a fucked up, you know, like half formed ambivalent thought, like you're not going to give yourself permission to kind of see where that goes because i think you're gonna kind of especially like the the debating nature of like the rational idea rationalism ideas that he brings up like having a a conflicted imperfect idea and seeing where it goes is going to be kind of like hammered out um so then it, like, yeah. then it ends up like steering things in a particular flavor of which then if i like that i'll kind of get into that when when we get to the the death stuff that comes up um that was where most of my thoughts around this is that like the put it into a pretty intellectual take on it um which i thought could have like we could have had tied like an emo- more of an emotional component to it that i think was missing so yeah and i i mean i'm eager to talk about that again with you yeah. um just because like pr- on every previous reread this has been like the most emotionally salient chapter for me in the book mm-hmm. and i think it's just because of you know like i said my sort of headspace the last few weeks that had like this yeah. the emotional bits like landed but only like distantly i'm like oh yeah i remember this being emotionally salient um i think that that's more me than the book but um because i it ha- i just know from my own experience that it has worked on me before but i think it's just uh um yeah that was my take i mean i get into it a little bit um yeah that my, it was because uh, it did i like it quote worked on me like i did it's like he had that it reminded me of what we had talked about before of like the uh uh, the Elon Musk launching a car in outer space and why did that make me cry? Like it, like it, it pushed that button. And so it did totally work, but there was like a, it had like a, uh, like it wasn't, I don't want to say it. Like it got qualified somewhat or it, or it didn't, it didn't hit as strongly as I'd, I'd have wanted it to because it felt like it was missing. Like it was only coming from the frontal lobe and not from like this full, like, his full self of like everything you might have invested in that idea. It felt like it was missing a part. Like it was guarded on a level. Hmm. Like it didn't, he didn't like completely let fly with it. That, yeah. I, I am. I'm curious. Well, we'll dive into it when we get there. Cause yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that discussion. So, um, yeah, well, but right I, now I've lost track of where we are. It's all turned into we'll, one. We'll put a pin on that. <laughs> Luckily where we are is the first sentence of chapter 45. Um, so this is, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. So Harry is, uh, you know, whatever the Phoenix's uh, piece is helping kind of keep things chill for Harry. And um, Seamus asks if he's okay. And there's actually this interesting moment where um, uh, it says he had, uh, he had regained an impossible memory for all the Dementor had made him desecrate it. A strange word kept echoing in his mind. All of that could be put on hold for later while the Phoenix still shone red and gold beneath the setting sun. Okay. I then- did go to the extra effort of like trying to go back and read like what the fuck he meant so was that being was that like a hint thing being dropped there because i'm like word echoing in his mind what the fuck is he talking about or did i go back like twice and read the thing and still didn't get it because it seemed like that's not there's nothing there to say like what is this word or did i miss it twice yeah it doesn't spell it out i think um i i i think maybe it's death um maybe it's riddle or something um i i get the impression that more it's like Oh, it says a strange word, not like a strange impression. Yeah. Like, I think I think it's part of like his realization that is coming to his mind right now. Yeah. And his well, realization it, about about the riddle of the Dementor. Yeah. And I wasn't um, sure how to read it. That like, it's, it's so it's not in it, it, the fact that you don't have a, a definite like, aha, this is what he's referring to means, I think. So I think this was a hint being dropped because 
I'm like, word, what word? Uh, it sounds like there is like, that is a, like, you don't know what word we're talking about. So at least for me, I'm like, first I wasn't sure. I'm like, is this a hint I need to be paying attention to? And now I'm thinking that is a hint I need to be paying attention to. Cause I'm like, there is no, like, what word are you talking about? Like there was something like planted there that, um, but we're not getting to see what it is. But Yeah. I think, th- I think that that's it. Something's planted and we don't get to see what it is yeah. and it's not like explicitly spelled out. I think yeah. I'm probably close in my guesses, but that's about it. Um, you're close to having read the book a couple times you're close well and no, i mean <laughs> well there's that but like it i even just from uh you know rereading this um it doesn't come right out and say oh yeah brian you missed this line so i, yeah, I can't do no, that no, no, no. yeah um you did just accident not accidentally you did just conspicuously uh use the word riddle like three times well that's what harry kept <laughs> asking well actually when you said it, i'm like oh so did the book and i'm like oh there's a hint too so well, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll point it all the time. Yeah, I'm just ESPing on you. I'm like, okay, that might not have meant anything, but it just like subconsciously crept into Steve's oh, head I three times. Saying. So okay, I'm, yeah. decided, oh, I'm yeah, deciding read. to read too much into that. Read too much into it? Ha, <laughs> pun. <laughs> um, he tells Professor McGonagall that she can go back because she looked busy. And then um, he turns to Hermione and you pulled out the quote where he's, you know, Oh, actually, you didn't pull out the line before that where he says, I don't really know how to say thank you graciously any more than I know oh, yeah. than I know how to apologize. All I can say is that if you're wondering whether it was the right thing to do, it was. I really like it. And also that like this is it's such a 180 from where he just was. But it's I again know, like right? it's this like new this new Harry in these last few chapters that I really like because it's a very sort of um, non puffed up kind of Harry. Well, also, he's like saying sorry. So that really sound like sorry. Um, but there's like a level of, of chillness to the whole thing. Like it's, like it's just sort of like he's, those words he's saying aren't like calculated for effect. They're really just the thing he's saying. Um, and just, and like a sincere expression of Hermione of like appreciation and, and like, you know, an actual, like, oh, I know this can be like that cost you and this can be fucked up and I'm sorry, but thank you because it really was worth it. So, yeah. That's, that's what I like about it is the sincerity of yeah. it and that, that it, it's coming through clearly. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, um yeah i don't have much to add on top of that yeah uh i like to the uh yeah the the note i put it i think like your quote the quote you just did and one i pulled are basically kind of the same but uh well he says like um sorry about what happens next if there's anything i can do and she says no there isn't it's all right though um there's something about that that i like it was it sort of emphasized the friend aspect of their friendship that like it it confirmed for us like no there is not a romantic thing going on here while at the same time kind of um underlining like the strength of that friendship like there is a love non-romantic love there that's really strong and that friendship is really strong and they really care about each other uh while at the same time like letting us know like no we're not turning like this is not turning into that um uh but then kind of like demonstrating like but still like the value of that of that non-romantic relationship like trying to make sure that we know that that doesn't diminish it absolutely i couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> well because we can't um, be me <laughs> what was that <laughs> so, can all be me oh i mean come on give yourself some credit uh i liked uh you also followed the next really salient quote i think where um you can just go ahead and yeah. grab it if you want after the uh, song so yeah, as, as harry's yeah as harry's walking away and realizing he's he's kind of doing a reality check he's like oh i was just completely fucked up and all of these people watched me in the throes of it uh, but then like the thought he has about that is and that would help them someday understanding that the boy who lived could also be hurt could be wretched 
so, so that when they were hurt and wretched themselves, they would remember seeing Harry writhing on the ground and know that their own pain and troubles didn't mean they'd never amount to anything. Had the headmaster calculated that when he had let the other students stay and watch? Um, and that reminded me uh, from uh, a couple chapters ago, the descriptions of Godric Gryffindor. There's something about that, just that sort of, uh, like the after the, like the, like the payoff, payoff seems like the wrong word, the benefit after the fact of having survived a thing, um, that the good that it can do after the fact. So he's like, he knows like he's gone through just such a horrible thing, but he's seeing like the the real value that that can give to the people that saw it that could not have happened except for how like the the idea of that suffering doesn't get it for you you have to it has to be actually have happened um and there's something sort of like a like a good sadness to that in a in a way that reminded me of the the way the Godric Gryffindor stuff was like how he described like it's okay if everybody's happier than I ever was um that there's sort of it's sort of like the the benevolence of the sadness. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's like the the thing is, this could have all mostly happened in Dumbledore's office, right? And then no one would have known. They'd see Harry come back recovered. And that wouldn't yeah. have had the same public effect. Like what Harry's imagining here is that, you know, yes, I hope someday to be this badass hero. But these everyone here will, will remember, you know, seeing me, you know, not just messed up by the Dementor, but like sobbing on the ground. Yeah. And then that can they'll know that like oh yeah even the boy who lived the great harry potter he was like that and yeah. if i'm like that it means that doesn't mean that i can't amount to greatness too yeah um, and i think that's like, awesome and it was sort of like you know the whole train of thought was very much selfless in the like in the literal like not about harry thought like harry's his entire focus of that is what would that be to everybody that just saw it and while also like acknowledging that the value of it was him in being very much not having his shit together uh, and contrasting that with, with the fact that he is quote, the boy who lived and him sort of disowning slash acknowledging his, like that he's, that he is just Harry. Um, but that they will see them seeing him as the boy who lived. will see that like, okay, those both can happen. Um, but I like that too. Like it's such a contrast with how he's been like, this is very much not the grandiose. It's all about me kind of uh, douchebag harry uh that he that he has been like this is this like more humble and selfless kind of harry so like that. yeah absolutely yeah. i like that a lot um and then the the next thing that he he looks back to the dementor and he says that shouldn't ought to exist and that's a good line that, There's something about yeah. that it's like sort of like the simplicity of it and the kind of almost helplessness of, of saying it that way yeah I, I it's just i like the um one might almost call it a rationalist virtue of looking at a bad thing and saying that shouldn't be here rather than just acknowledging like, no, sorry, that's a fact of nature. We've tried. Um, And so the, uh, well, at least for me, like like the, the thought or just kind of the the feeling it brought up was the, I mean, yes, that shouldn't even exist, but like this. So that like the fact that it shouldn't doesn't change the fact that it does. And it's sort of like kind of underline the, the sort of, the helplessness of that of that feeling of like okay that shouldn't be there but it totally is and there's not a damn thing I can do about it um, or is there or is there well yeah I mean yeah that's what, as I was saying that but but in a it, but in a way not so yeah he's about to be able to like kick this thing's ass but um, but that general sort of like because at least like my the feeling I had of it was it was just sort of like well bad shit shouldn't exist um, like it was he was saying it like about all the things um, and it like so it just kind of it it had that feeling of kind of the the value and the uh 
almost like correct, like the validity of the idea that it shouldn't exist and the completely like unrealisticness of the, of the idea at the same time. And it's sort of like, that's sort of like that experience, that suffering experience he had is, is kind of that, that like this is completely unfair, but it's happening anyway. Yeah. I think it's, it's sort of just Harry's kind of perspective of um, like the way you put it, like, yes, this bad thing is here and it, and it shouldn't be uh, that. I think that's just sort of, yeah, that's definitely the Harry lens through which he sees yeah. things. He's like, well, hold on. Have we actually, like, what'd you guys actually try? In fact, yeah. he does actually, he does li- literally say that. Um, Professor Quirrell says that, sorry, they cannot be killed. Many have tried. And he's like, really? What did they try? Yeah. And he describes some extremely dangerous spell, which they tried to kill it with. Um, I liked uh, Dumbledore says, no, they're not undying. Uh, they do not possess eternal life. They are wounds in the world, and attacking the wound only makes it larger. And he says, hmm, suppose you threw it into the sun. Would it be destroyed? <laughs> and <laughs> this is a nice I had, comedy I had to beat. do a double, double read on this, too, because I, I thought I had misread it because of his, of his answer. But Yeah, so like, so your reading, I think, was the same as mine then. Harry was like, if I threw it into the sun, would it kill the Dementor, right? Yeah, did, uh, did we pull the actual quote or did maybe the, the quote itself? The, the, li- the, the, the line is, suppose you threw it into the sun, would it be destroyed? And my reading of that is, suppose I threw the Dementor under the sun, would the Dementor then die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is how Harry meant it. But then Quirrell takes it the other way and says, it seems unlikely. Uh, the sun is very large after all. I doubt the Dementor <laughs> would have much of an effect on it, but it's not a test I'd like to try just in case. <laughs> yeah, I read that. I'm like, wait, what? what? Uh... Yeah, Quirrell, Quirrell took it the other way. He's like, wait, uh, no, I think that it probably wouldn't destroy the sun, uh, but Harry was yeah, obviously thinking, would it destroy like, the Dementor? Like that fits well too with like the kind of ignorance that wizards have about anything beyond, you know, 10,000 feet above sea level. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, like for him, it's like, oh yeah, because like the sun is just the squinty ball of light in the sky um, from their point of view. I mean, even like, even with like, some, you know, conscious knowledge that it's, that it's more than that, it's still like they have no kind of, connect connection with the idea of of how big the sun is yeah i mean it is interesting if dementors do just suck up light i wonder if it would eventually work <laughs> um it so it, i i'm with coral it's not a test i'd like to try but i'm I, it is maybe, maybe another star maybe shoot it into another distant star and see if that one winks mm-hmm. out after a thousand years or not um anyway i as a side note that's always my go-to for destroying hard to destroy things I had looked it up when we were talking about that. Uh, that was a, it was a book I read in like sixth grade or something. It was a really bad, like science, uh, science fiction book. Um, I couldn't remember the actual title, but I was able to Google it. Something they, they were, they were people with teleportation powers. It was like the sort of like every, every hundredth kid born had the ability to teleport shit and they called them flingers because they would fling stuff. And that was like the, like the way that you could send away really bad things was to uh, fling them into the center of the sun and then they just never existed. So, so that was always one of my thing. Gonna, with, gonna remember the thing I was talking about. It was some Irish superhero kid, or the main character, or something. But it was not like, good. I, there was one really clever use of like teleportation and portals that I really liked. At the end of Wheel of Time, um, one of them opens up a uh, gateway into like the center of a volcano, and then the other end opens up like over the battlefield of the enemy. <laughs> and I think that you know that's that's exactly the kind of outside the box thinking that wins you a fight. I was disappointed at the end of Endgame, and I get, you know, Doctor Strange had to be busy because the plot needed to happen, mm-hmm. but he's sitting there holding back the water. I'm like, dude, just open up a fucking gateway and put it, mm-hmm. like, 
on the back end of the the invading army but oh well um so that's the problem you start like you start chasing down those like internal consistency things and like no that's like then you're spending the rest of the the story just trying to patch up all the holes oh yeah well i mean you just gotta go like okay fuck it across this point you just don't cross and and that's that's how I'm able to completely enjoy these movies, nonetheless. Like they aren't uh, they aren't written to have like very clever solutions to hard problems. They're they're written to tell they're they're written for other reasons to tell great stories about, uh, w- you know, with with good characters and character uh, relationships and and moments. It's not about like oh and look at how smart they were when, um, they came up with this really smart you know clever plan to usurp this this plot or something. Uh, Wait a minute! That's... Hawkeye's just some asshole with a bow and arrow, <laughs> and they they completely like <laughs> lampshade that moment when Hawkeye calls it out in Ultron. Right? Um, he says, "None of this makes any sense. We're fighting an army of robots. I've got a bow and arrow." Uh, like anyway, yeah, those movies are great, but they're great for a different reason than what you might call rationalist fiction. You know what we should do? Um, Maybe we'll wait till the, this story's done, or we'll do like a break at some point and do the thirteen chapter uh, short story, "The Metropolitan Man," which is uh, Superman short story fan fiction, mm-hmm. um, told mainly from the point of view of Lex Luthor, and it was outstanding. And it's a quick read, so we'll put that on the on the back burner. Sure. Anyway, so this is where I kept thinking of riddles and stuff was because Harry looks back at the Dementor, and the word echoed again in his mind. All right, Harry thought to himself, if the Dementor is a riddle, what is the answer? And just like that, it was obvious. That's why I think it might have been like the word in his head might have been riddle or... Yeah, no, actually, when you were saying it, that reminded me of like, oh, yeah, he did call it a riddle. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, a riddle? I don't know what to make of that, but the word seems conspicuous. Well, I guess really quick before that, there was uh, like just... Quarrel was like, all right, cool. Well, now that that's wrapped up, uh, I think Miss Ransom was next. And, um, (laughs) you know, it... I liked where, and there was that, that, the, the quote is that started a bit of an argument in which Professor Quirrell was right and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> uh, and he says, yes, understanding all the emotions aside, now we know about the mishaps that can occur with wands. So another uh, mishap is, you know, the odds are infinitesimal. So let's not worry about any of that. Yeah. Um, and I made it stick out for when I underlined that part when he, when he mentioned the wand that, and I did. Like I got that they there was that moment before they were, where they were concerned that the wand was like near the dement the edge of the dementor's cage and that the dementor might be able to get to the wand, but my read of it as as that was happening like I didn't attach any significance to to the wand as being like the reason and I think like my my impression of it as I was reading was more that like there was some plot happening uh, prior to all of this that 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 dementor showed up, you know out specifically for harry and maybe given some like none of like there's nothing backing this up specifically but my my vibe of the thing was like that that dementor was juiced extra uh and set to go off at harry um and i didn't like it my read of it like that i didn't attach a lot of significance to like the wand getting near the the cage as something other than like ooh look at the bad thing that almost happened um but I guess, yeah, I guess like after that, it's like, oh, it is supposed to be that, that it was the wand. That, that didn't really play out though. I mean, even if, as we're going through that, like there isn't, there wasn't an explanation of, well, why would that matter? I mean, you can imagine that wouldn't be good, but like I didn't, at least for me, didn't get any sense of like, well, why did the fact that the wand almost got to the Dementor cause all of that to happen? So. You are, you are starting to think paranoid enough. It's great. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's not spelled out why that works. Maybe there's more of a connection with wands yeah. and wizards in this version than there is in the other one. But um, yeah, certainly it's not spelled out. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, it, that's the explanation that yeah. they run I would, with. Yeah, and I, I, kinda, like, I guess I wanted, like, okay, if that is, if that's, like, what was going on here, then I guess I would have wanted um, to have that, you know, explained to me more, uh, like I'm an idiot that doesn't pay attention. Um, well, I mean, it's like, well, it, so like what, and what, at least cause like, what is their thinking then? Like if that is the theory and that's, that's what it was like, what's this, what are they specifically thinking that meant or that, that how that worked? Is it that like, oh, there's some kind of attachment between like Harry and his wand and that the Dementor used that. And that's all seems like plausible, but I guess I would have like, there seems like a lot of plausible explanations about if that is the reason, then why it would be. And I guess I never, even if we don't know specifically, like I never heard what, what were all of the characters thinking was the reason that mattered so it just well like it was if, over. if you feel you know confused and like the answer isn't fully resolved that may be on purpose that may not be at, you know at, at the at the very least this is the answer that okay. they seem contented with in the story but mm-hmm. i think you're i think you're reading it right like okay cool that's what they think what do i think about this yeah. um do i find like that that solved this yeah. problem well, i guess i want to know like why do they think it? like you can think that but then like why do they think that and i guess that was what i was more curious about because it seemed like it was that's, said as a way that like oh that's just a thing everybody like that's just the evident thing that everybody would think I'm like, well, that's why? a good question yeah. too so yeah something tells me we're going to find out maybe maybe not who knows um you you know i you I read the do. book oh yeah i keep forgetting that <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. So, uh, there's like this sort of, um, like right before, you know, again, the line break, go to commercial kind of thing. There's just Harry saying, all right, excuse me. I'd like to have another go at the Dementor. Mm-hmm. And oh, it is like after quarrels, like, okay, everybody else has to do it. Like everybody, but, uh, who was it? Oh, um, I- it was Ron. And I, that's why it stuck out. I'm like, yeah, Ron. Cause Ron's cool. Um, it was Ron and then the other guy that had the bear. Who was that? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dean Thomas. Yeah, Dean Thomas. Like they were the only yeah. ones that were willing to, to go after it. And so. Ron didn't get a, a full one, but he got a shield of sparkling mist. So okay. halfway there. But, you know, but yeah, he's, he's Ron, willing, willing Ron's getting it. some badass redemption points. I'm not sure, you know, how much of that is. Uh, we were talking kind of the meta level of like the author writing, you know, with the fact of knowing that this was being read every chapter along the way by an audience who was shitting, on, you know, <laughs> on in Reddit comments as every time it was posted or whatever. But I think he dropped a lot of anvils on Ron the first time I met him, and now he's he's giving him you know pieces back. But it's also just sounds like Ron Weasley, right? Yeah. Oh so. yeah, totally. But I th- I mean like all of that sounded like Ron Weasley. We just weren't getting that in the story. I want it, it does kind of fit though. Like it does feel like this whole. This whole training session with the Dementor scene, which is more than just the reading um, this week, but uh, is like like there is a, a conscious shift in the storyline of kind of being more humane and humble about things. And that this at least like showing Ron as being not a complete um, Nimrod at least fits with that idea. <laughs> yeah like so it, it's not quite like fan service apologiness because mm-hmm. it's perfectly in character yeah. for Ron as we know him. Um or maybe and he just had this like teed up. He's like, okay, it'd be nicer to Ron. He's like, oh, well, let's put that part where I'm going to be like, make everybody nicer. Maybe I'll just sneak it in there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll call me. What's, what's good about Griffin? Oh, they're brave. I guess it's good. Let's have Ron, Ron do something brave. That's right. Ron, Ron gets his badassness. <laughs> uh, and even if, I think, I think Ron stays Ron, but he stays Ron in the mm-hmm. background. And so whatever he gets a moment, yeah. like we get to see it. Okay, yeah, he, he doesn't totally suck. He's certainly not like the complete loser that Harry just missed him as at yeah. the beginning. It does a little yeah. bit like as, you know, as I didn't 
uh, put that much thought to it as we're going through, but as we're uh, talking about it now, it does almost feel a little bit like a like a uh, olive leaf, olive branch uh, about Ron. Like, okay, here's a, well, I'll I'll do something nice for Ron. This is something like unambiguously admirable about Ron. The thought hadn't occurred to me about that. I took it just purely as like, okay, yeah, that's a very Ron thing to do. And that's a very like in character thing for the story. It didn't occur to me until our conversation earlier about like writing this in front of an audience that that may have been intentional, but uh, (laughs) the more we talk about it, because it was like specifically on Reddit too, not, not only, but like there was specific Reddit feedback as he was writing this. Yeah. That's fucking brutal, man. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, the, this wasn't like, you know, Rops. having his friends review each chapter and saying that, right? This it's was like having... The, the seething the, horde. Yeah, and this is taking it to, what, that, uh, what's that bar in Tatooine? Moss Eisley? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this, the seedy cesspool of all that is wicked and My villainous. My friend doesn't and, like you. Yeah, so that's that's where he took every chapter to that, to that wicked cesspool <laughs> called Reddit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so... Harry's Harry's request was met with a certain amount of opposition of the "you're completely insane" variety, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much I you know this is where it gets into that whole long uh, the whole long bit. So I mean I'm gonna without being stopped I'm gonna just read the whole thing. So I'll let you kind of drive and then I'll just jump in whenever I feel like I can't hold myself back. So where I'm um, go for it. Well, uh, we'll take turns. Don't right. don't let me ramble on too much. But um, I'm not like in the text. No, you're good. Uh, so Harry points out that, um, you know, he's like, hey, I'm pretty sure I know what I was doing wrong before. Uh, there's a kind of person who has to use a different sort of warm and happy thought. Just let me try it, okay? And um, then Harry plays his trump card of saying, I'm happy to do this with the headmaster uh, leaving his Patronus up. And Now, I guess you, know, you then, might not remember because you've read it too many times, but like my but if you can remember, like your first read of that, when he said like another kind of happy thought, I immediately like I did go to the right place, which was like I was I was going to his outer spacey thought, like that place in his head. I'm like, oh, that's what he's talking about, uh, which I thought was I can, really good. It, it like speaks well to like how powerfully that was communicated the first time. You know, I think if I if I was reading this slowly the first time, I would have probably been able to put that together. While I don't recall my first impression, I can. Uh, confidently guess that I was just speed reading through all of this because <laughs> um, I really wanted to know like all right what what's happening what's gonna happen next so I was right. just going as fast as possible uh, and so like I, I I read that line didn't think for one second before reading the next line and just kept kept running mm. through it yeah I, I I'm gonna like, I'm gonna guess that's how I did yeah it. I didn't put a lot of thought to it at the time but I remember like that was the running that was the I'm like oh he's gonna do that thing that's what he's going to think of and that just made me think like oh that was like well done, like did a good job the first couple. Actually, it's two times because it was his first time with Quirrell um, in the Defense Against the Dark Arts class and then the Silent Night one. But like it did a good job of like planning that, like sticking a flag in our brains about the importance of that. Yeah. And it, it did a good job um, alluding to the fact that that's like most of the recipe that you need to make this work. Yeah. You, may, you know, may, maybe you could do it without loving space. That wasn't really exactly what he used to do it. But the fact that it almost warded off the Dementor before. Yeah. Um, like the it's it's the 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 promise of the uh potential of humanity yeah is is i think what it takes and whether whether you're envisioning that through you know like hermione's parents are dentists you know that's medical adjacent maybe she would think more of like eradicating diseases or Mm -hmm. you know something like that right i think i think that's the same gingivitis (laughs) right (laughs) so uh 
Right. Yeah. So she she sees the clean smile and she's like, "That's how you kill Dementors with, with with perfect teeth." Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just all right. Side thought. I remembered that in the first book, um, she had like buck teeth mm. that they end up like reducing at some point because Malfoy ca- casts like this beaver charm on her that makes her teeth all big, <laughs> and then she lets Madame Humphrey reduce them to a, a smaller size. Uh, it would be really funny if her Patronus was a beaver and not an otter. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that, uh, no, I'm blanking on the actress's name, but didn't like, that was just sort of like she grew into her mouth. Like as she got older, because she was a little buck toothy just at the age of 12 when she started. I don't remember. I don't I remember what they looked like through, through the years. Maybe they just played uh, I, 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 I remember that was an explicit thing in yeah, the book. Cause that was in the text. Yeah. But I like, yeah. maybe, maybe I just like grafted that onto my memory of the, of the book. But I, at least like in my, my recollection is like young, what is her name? Emma, Emma, Emma Watson. Watson. The young Emma Watson, like had big teeth and then grew into them and looks totally mm. normal. Now I, that could, it occurs to me now that that could be completely fictitious and that my brain grafted that on there from the book. Who knows? Well, you can just put Emma Watson child photos into Google so. search history and uh, resolve and, this later. And get on an FBI watch list. Exactly. <laughs> Alternately, you can just look at the cover of the movies. Yeah. That might help. Yeah. All right. So um, Harry's okay with the headmaster leaving his Patronus up because he says, I'll be in the I'll be in the presence of Dementor just the same. Mm-hmm. And he says, then he's thinking to himself, if the, if the Dementor could not reach you through your Patronus on some level, Albus Dumbledore, you would not see a naked man painful to look upon. And he didn't say this out loud for obvious reasons. Um, the I guess is it clear to you what those obvious reasons are? Um, I guess a, a little bit. I, um, and that may just be like, yeah, I think it was a little bit, but I'm not sure to what extent it was that uh, y'all have primed me to go like, okay, this is specifically about death. <laughs> um, but uh, it did. What definitely uh, stood out was that the idea that like, okay, what everybody sees a different thing. And the fact that he's seeing like, you know, naked old man um, is a reflection of Dumbledore's head and not a reflection of what the thing really is. So that that much of it stuck out. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a big part of it. I my reading of it was more like an important part of the Patronus 1.0 working is like the belief that it works. Yeah. And so if you if he had said, yeah, Dumbledore, your your Patronus like only partly keeps it away. Um, I think that that knowledge might be damaging to like the effectiveness of the Patronus charm as almost everyone uses it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So then he says, yeah, I'm wondering about that now that we're overthinking it, like, what is the connection? Like if it is death and not like if it's fear, then that makes sense that the headspace of the person watching it matters. If it's just death, like death is like an absolute unrelated to your thought about it. <laughs> Whereas fear, like you participate in fear, uh, death will happen regardless of your participation. Um, I wonder that like, I don't know, like maybe there's nothing, no significance to draw from that, but I would like, it, like it, it, the Dementor representing some sort of like abstract thought or emotion uh, seems to like tie in better with it mattering with, to the person. Um, but like if the Dementor is just death, like death is the same for everybody. I I like uh, I like that you brought up the distinction because like j- death is an objective uh, thing and fear is the subjective experience yeah. of it. Um, I think what makes it different person to person is their level of of vulnerability to their fear of death. Yeah. And so, um, like so, where Rowling wrote Dementors to be depression, 
I think uh, uh, Yudkowsky is writing them to be death. And the reason that it ties so closely with fear is because people, um, you know, they have a a fear reaction to death. So they see it, their mind flinches away and tries to substitute it for something else. And so when Harry looks under the cloak, it, it kept saying this over and over. Like he saw an open question. Yeah. He couldn't quite make like it out. Look at it. I thought um, that was cool. Like he couldn't, it, it was just nothing when he was looking at it. Not, not that it was like, oh, he was seeing nothingness or something, but that it was like, he wouldn't, like he couldn't turn it into a fake thing. Yeah. So, so it just everyone, kept like and, not and resolving. Exactly. So I think that's, that's, that's what's going on there is that like the fact that Albus is personifying it at all means that his, yeah. his Patronus is only partly working. Um, I wonder if... And so that, like, it makes sense as like, okay, a misunderstanding of death would people would interpret it as fear, or like, oh, like you think you think it is its essential nature is fear, but it's only because you're misunderstanding that its essential nature is death. I wonder if like Rowling were writing this scene, and her understanding of it is that that its essential nature is depression. I wonder what if, and then she were trying to like extrapolate. Then how would people misunderstand it? I wonder what. I don't think it wouldn't have been, I don't think it would have been fear. And I wonder what it would have been. I mean, not that it like doesn't matter for the story. Anything, but it's just like a thought I'm having about it. Like, because, no, because like, like that's because for this, like this alternate universe, like the Dementor is now represents a slightly different thing, a, a bad thing, but in a, in a different way. I wonder what the, the analog would be to the uh, original idea of what it is. Yeah. I, you know, cause the Dementors were scary, not just sad things yeah. in the Canon books. Maybe it was because it was the fear of losing your happy memories and, and the yeah. light in the world. Right. Yeah. I wonder, um, yeah. I wonder, would it be like loneliness or yeah. I wonder what the, yeah. So like the lonely was the fear behind yeah. the Dementor. And, Although that's uh, like, cause death is like saying that Dementors are, are death um, is much less abstract. Like Dementors are fear is like a, squishy abstract concept but saying dementors are depression is also a squishy abstract concept so maybe it doesn't yeah like, maybe it doesn't extrapolate because yeah so when harry phrases it to himself about like all right well if it was a riddle he asks the headmaster um if it, if the ravenclaw door asked you if this was a riddle what li- or asked you this riddle what lies at the center of center of a dementor what would you say and he just says fear, and he says, "Yeah, that's a simple enough mistake." The Dementor approached. The fear came over you. The fear hurt, and that you felt the fear weakening you. You wanted the fear to go away, so it was natural to think that fear was the problem. And so they concluded that the Dementor was a creature of pure fear, and there's nothing to fear uh, but the fear itself. And the Dementor couldn't hurt you if you weren't afraid. And then he's like, "But," and then he he's kind of like trying to parse it, and he's thinking it doesn't really quite fit. Um, though it was clear enough how people wouldn't want, would be reluctant to look past the first answer because yeah. people understand fear. They know what they're supposed to do about fear. And so... Well, especially if, like, if it is so rare to have anything but the most, like, partial success against a Dementor. Anyway. Like, nobody defeats a Dementor. All you do is, like, sort of successfully defend yourself long enough to get the fuck out of there. Like, there isn't going to be a lot of being able to pick apart what's the nature of how you were able to defend yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, oh, then there's the moment where um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm only laughing because the line before the thing I was going to say is, um, so when faced with the Dementor, it wouldn't exactly be comforting to ask, what if the fear is just a side effect rather than the main problem? <laughs> because the fear itself is already like a tremendously uh, intense thing to mm-hmm. deal with. Um, so then they had come close to the Dementor's cage, guarded by four Patronuses. And there were sharp intakes of breath from the three R's and Professor Quirrell. 
and everyone turned to look at the Dementor, seeming to listen. And then Professor Quirrell raised his head and spat hard towards the, or his face hard and spat towards the Dementor, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, given what we learn happened in that moment, that's kind of badass. Yeah. Um, he could have, you know, given it the finger or something, but spitting at it is pretty intense too. Um, yeah, I, feel I, I like was a little perfectly... disconnected. Like I didn't quite, I had to like kind of double back and read sentence or skip back a couple uh, sentences to be like, oh, okay, the Dementor's talking to them. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I, I did the same thing. It's 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 odd because we don't know what the hell just happened. But yeah. luckily, it's not like we have to wait two chapters or yeah. something. It's just a couple of sentences. But um, it's funny. Like, the only reason I laughed is because like that that's kind of badass. Like Quirrell can't cast a Patronus, mm-hmm. um, so he he's more or less defenseless against these things. And like, and if, it just threatened. This, it, that, yeah, that's what we didn't get. Like the thing just threatened his life. Like, and it's yeah. not like he, it's not some idle threat by something. It's like I know who you are, and I'm going to come get you, fucker. Yeah, it was. So that's then that what comes out next is that um, it turns out that it hey, yeah it threatened Professor Quirrell, yeah. and Harry for some reason can't hear it, but everyone else could. And Quirrell says it said to me that it knew me, that it would hunt me down someday wherever I tried to hide. And uh, Dumbledore says, "Well, there's always refuge for you at Hogwarts if it if it becomes necessary." Um, yeah, and I didn't and, get the impression of her. I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah, <laughs> like I'm good. Fuck this guy. <laughs> I I just yeah, I just think it's interesting because you know even while mostly defenseless against this unstoppable monster, mm. Quirrell just spits in its face rather uh, than I think as most people would do, like be really freaked out and run away. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Harry just says, "Ah, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that, Professor Quirrell." Um, and now everyone is giving Harry very strange looks. And mm-hmm. so, uh, oh, this is the next one that I liked a lot. I think you pulled this quote out too. Um, where, oh, you no, know what? I did. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Where, he, so Harry says, they're wounds in the world. Just a wild guess, but I'm guessing the one who said that was Godric Gryffindor. And Dumbledore says, yeah, how did you know? And then there's like this. Uh, uh, italicized inner thought where he says it's a common misconception that all the best rationalists are sorted into Ravenclaw leaving none for the other houses this is not so being sorted into Ravenclaw indicates that your strongest virtue is curiosity wondering and desiring to know the true answer and this is not the only virtue a rationalist needs sometimes you have to work hard on a problem and stick to it for a while sometimes you need a clever plan for finding out and sometimes what you need more than anything else to see an answer is the courage to face it and I like that it's you know it's adding what the um i guess core ingredient in harry's lens of each house can bring to his his goal of like how do you solve problems um it's like there's more to it you know if you're coming at it from a a different angle but harry thinking from like the science if you replace rationalist with scientist or something it might land a little easier too but it's just like um from from Harry's perspective, he's seeing that okay, yeah, there's virtues in every house and yeah. every approach, and I certainly liked it more than his dismissive like at the beginning. Well, yeah, smart kids in Ravenclaw, evil kids in Slytherin, uh, wannabe Although heroes in Gryffindor. Does he call, um, didn't read through this carefully. Enough. Is there a part of that where he's like, and the value of Slytherin to this equation is, or does he just do the three? Sometimes this, you need a clever, clever plan for finding. Clever, out. Okay, I guess I I. Uh, stuck that together with uh, I, I saw clever plan as as also Ravenclaw, work hard, stick to it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I would. I'm just. I think cleverness is supposed to be the Slytherin virtue. Yeah, work hard, clever, stick to it. Yeah, cunning. but then it was, yeah. So yeah. work, work hard, stick to it, brave. Sure. 
Wait, so then work hard and stick to it is one of those Ravenclaw and one of those Hufflepuff? This is all falling uh, apart. No, work, work hard and stick to it is Hufflepuff. It's Hufflepuff. Yeah. Stick to it. Right, then it's just sort of rationalist in general. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I I totally see where, um, you know, it it's definitely read like there's two readings of it. If, if, uh, if you're reading this as like, Oh, that's the value of the houses. Like that mm-hmm. seems really like authorial projection. Um, but if you read it as like, that's Harry's lens through which to, uh, assign value to the four approaches, then that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's least, all, I don't least, want, like crap on that. Yeah. This, this paragraph, uh, stuck out for me because it was just as a piece of writing, it was like jarring because it just didn't, it was not believable. It was the, okay, now we're suddenly channeling the words of the author um, because he, he, he just doesn't work as the words that like, after having just said like, oh, it's okay that he's not realistic as a kid. I guess it wasn't even realistic as a, as a character going through all of this stuff. This was to like step away the hell back and pontificate about the nature of reality um, that it, it was, it was too jarring for that. And it kind of like yanked me out of it. Um, cause it was a little toward like kind of like explaining the theme of this. It was like its own cliff notes at that point. I, I can, yeah. I can acknowledge that. I, I, I totally see what you're saying. Like this is, this is a very long thought to have yeah. when you're about to, you know, engage in a fight for your life against this unkillable <laughs> monster. Well, yeah, that, like, um, but I did also pick up on that, like that sort of like that equitable, or that's kind of the wrong word, but the, the, that part of like acknowledging the, the value of all of those approaches. Uh, that came through too, so I did like that. Yeah, I like that. It's it's adding, um, you know, it's the book's been doing this slowly, and it, I, it'll probably do it more if I, if I had to guess. But it's adding, uh, and I'm not using future sight to say that. I'm just saying, like, it seems like this is something the book is actually caring about, like to give yeah. uh, more character to just about everything that you know exists in the universe. And so, you know, having the houses be as shallow as they were in canon is boring. So no, let's let's actually give them each virtues that are actually really important. Um, yeah. So yeah, then I think it was that first sense. It is a common misconception thought, Harry, that all the best rationalists are sorted in a Ravenclaw. I'm like, wait, you've been, you're like halfway through your first year. Like it was too sort of like step back, take a big picture at the nature of how all this is happening for, I'm like, wait, no, you're a kid in the first year at, at the school. Just you're going through that, not, you know, coming to grand conclusions about the nature of the whole process. Yeah, if he was reflecting back on it in yeah. a century, it might have been yeah. uh, a little different thought. Sure, yeah. it just um, like it fits so it fits very well as the like the author ruminating about the system that they have set up, um, rather than the kid going through that system, like experiencing yeah. what it's like to be inside it. But anyway, no, that's fair. Um, this is where then it starts getting awesome. Um, so Harry's thinking that. Uh, well, he lo- Harry's gaze went to what lay beneath the cloak, the horror far worse than any decaying mummy, where we know Ravenclaw might also have known, for it was an obvious enough riddle once you saw it as a riddle. It was also obvious why the Patronuses were animals. The animals didn't know, and so were sheltered from the fear. But Harry knew, and would always know, and would never be able to forget. Um, I'm just now reading the whole chapter, so I'm going to try and <laughs> skim. But uh, No, this, part you should, so, this was the good part. See, no, you should, if we're going to read a part, this is the part. All right, fine. Um, Just do like a nice big booming voice. I'll do my best. We're going to compare you to the uh, audiobook. All right. So (laughs) he says uh, um, he had tried to teach himself to face reality without flinching. And though Harry had not yet mastered that art, still those grooves had been worn into his mind. The reflex to look toward the painful thought instead of away. 
Harry would never be able to forget by thinking warm and happy thoughts about something else, and that was why the spell hadn't worked for him. So Harry would think a warm and happy thought that wasn't about something else. Harry drew forth his wand that Professor Flitwick, Flitwick had returned to him, and put his feet into the beginning stance for the Patronus charm. Within his mind, Harry discarded the last remnants of the peace of the phoenix, put aside the calm, the dreamlike state, and remembered instead Fox's piercing cry, and roused himself for battle. Called upon the, all the pieces and elements of himself to awaken, raised up within himself all the strength that the, that the Patronus charm could ever draw upon, to put himself into the right frame of mind for the final warm and happy thought, remembered all bright things. The books his father had bought him. Mum's smile when, he had, when Harry had handmade her Mother's Day card, an elaborate thing that he had used half a pound of spare electronics parts from the garage to finish, or to, uh, to flash lights and beep a little tune, and it had taken him three days to make. Professor McGonagall telling him that his parents had died well, protecting him, as they had, realizing that Hermione was keeping up with him and even running faster, that they could be true rivals and friends, coaxing Draco out of the darkness, watching him slowly move towards the light. Neville and Seamus and Lavender and Dean and everyone else who looked up to him, everyone that he would have fought to protect if anything threatened Hogwarts, everything that made life worth living, and his hand and his wand rose into the starting position for the Patronus charm. I'm realizing I have like three more paragraphs to go <laughs> long. I don't. I can. Uh, I can keep going. I guess. Um, no, well, this, we can talk the, about. We can pause. Or I can refer people to the excellently done audiobook, which That's had accompanying music like for this music part. in the background. This part was well done. Yeah. We can. I will say that the music that he chose fits really well, but the music that always played in my head when I read this was um, from Carl Sagan's Cosmos. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's the space-heavy theme of it, but it was... there, And it's not even... Um, the, the part that I'm thinking of, and it's been so long since I've seen it, has nothing to do with, you know, this, this overcoming, this uh, um, insurmountable... Uh, hardship or anything like that it's just this triumphant music in a, in a section of it mm -hmm. but that always really worked well for me here um he's very it's so, like very uh, john williams music here yeah Big, right booming. so i'll i'll, I'll paraphrase the rest I, I i i would just refer anyone to the audiobook if they want uh, a good version of yeah. this but um so harry thinks of the stars like he did that almost worked before but adds the missing ingredient when he he imagines the earth there as well where it belonged among all, it, within that image and he thinks about the the future of humanity he says the children's children's children the distant descendants of all human humankind as they strode from star to star would they still be plagued by dementors even then and he says no of course not they're only little nuisances paling into nothingness in the light of that promise not unkillable not invincible not even close and this is this is the part that that resonates that emotional bit yeah. of you know when you think of the 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 we keep I keep trying and failing or maybe trying and halfway succeeding every time this comes up but I don't even, like I couldn't even describe to myself like this so this part totally worked on me too this was this was awesome but yeah maybe that's part of the fascination of it is like I don't even know how to describe to myself the why of how it works like like what the what is it about that that's so like powerful? It's hard. I mean, like you can know, but like it feels like the explanations I would come up with are kind of more like just sort of like bad reflections of the reason. It's like yeah. like trying to just describe a color. Um, yeah, part part of the solution, part of the answer, but not all of it. Yeah, yeah. like something about the uh, appreciating the promise of of the enlightenment of um, 
not not like spiritual well, i guess spiritual enlightenment but i was thinking more of like you know the the what human what the species can do when we set our minds to something that we alone on the planet are capable of doing we we can tackle these these enormous problems we've we've done things that are i mean it's like, like the fulfilling like so it's like the fulfilling of a purpose but it's like fulfilling of the purpose um, the, which even of, then, like that, the, that doesn't quite say it, but it's something something like that. Not just the yeah, the purpose, but the promise too. Like this yeah. is what we can do. This is what our descendants are capable of doing. We've come so far as a species, and we can get all the way there. Um, something you know that yeah. whatever whatever feeling you get when you see a rocket take off, this is that feeling yeah. being written down um, or trying to come out in the writing. I guess I should say. Um, so he was thinking that uh, when he's again this is part of his like wrapping himself up for battle and uh that much vaster future depended on what he did here now in the earliest days of dawn when there's still so much darkness to be fought and temporary nuisances like dementors mom and dad hermione's friendship and draco's journey seamus and lavender and neville and dean the blue sky and the brilliant sun all bright things the earth the stars the promise everything humanity was and everything it would become and on the wand, Harry's, mover, Harry's fingers moved into their p- starting positions. He was ready now to think the right sort of warm and happy thought. Harry's eyes stared directly at that which lay beneath the tattered cloak, looked straight at that which had been named Dementor, the void, the emptiness, the hole in the universe, the absence of color and space, an open drain through which warmth poured out of the world. The fear it exuded stole away all happy thoughts. Dr- its closeness drained your power and strength. Its kiss would destroy everything that you were. Her- I know you now, Harry thought. His wand twitched once, twice, thrice, and four times as his fingers slid exactly the right distances. I comprehend your nature. You symbolize death. Through some law of magic, you are a shadow that death casts into the world. And death is not something I will ever embrace. It is only a childish thing that the human species has not yet outgrown. And someday, we'll get over it. And people won't have to say goodbye anymore. And that's the thought that he uses when he yeah. casts the spell. And, and it's all caps, the... expecto patronum. That's right. <laughs> he doesn't just say it. He's, he, he declares it. it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And um, I like how it, it gradually explains what's happening. It says the, the thought exploded from him like a breaking dam, surged down into his arm, or surged down his arm into his wand, burst from it as blazing white light. That light became corporeal, took on shape and substance. A figure with two arms, two legs, a head, standing upright. The animal Homo sapiens, the shape of a human being. I remember, and, like I remember, I like I remember being surprised by this, not like shocked or anything, like, but I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That's really well done. I like that. And then tying back to that idea of like animals being ignorant of their own death, and I like that. Yeah, it did I occur think, to me yeah, like this would this would not work well television or movie. Like this would be a weird, awkward visual because you'd be like seeing a person. Like the idea of it being a man is is cool. The an actual visual would get all weird. There's a good piece of fan art on um, the. Uh, it's actually I think the banner for Inyash's uh, for the HPMOR podcast yeah. website, um, and that's this scene actually. So I'll, I'll uh, maybe if it was like, yeah, like a silhouette or something. It, it, it would need to stay very abstract. It would be the concept of person rather than you starting to try to interpret it as like an actual person. Yeah, exactly. I think, and that's that's it. Doesn't have yeah. features. It has the shape. Um, you know, like, and I, I sort of get that impression from all the, the Patronuses. Like, yeah. 
you know, it, it's possible that Dumbledore's Phoenix Patronus is Fox, but I like to think of it more just like the platonic form yeah. of the Phoenix. And, you know, uh, Hermione's otter uh, Patronus from the books wasn't like this one otter she really liked at the zoo. It was otters, right? Yeah. So I think that that's, that's Harry's Patronus yeah. here is, isn't, it, his Patronus isn't like Richard Feynman. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird. humanity. Um, that, so that, and so it, it describes it as, was, you know, jumpsuit Elvis. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 the other important factor of it is that it's, it's brighter than every other Patronus and is even, um, brighter than like the sun that's setting and professor Quirrell and the R's are all shielding their eyes in shock. And, um, the other italicized text I really like here, it says, and someday when the descendants of humanity have spread from star to star, they won't tell their children about the history of ancient earth until they're old enough to bear it. And when they learn, they'll weep to hear that such a thing as death had ever once existed. You're not invincible. And someday the human species will end you. I will end you if I can by the power of mind and science and magic. I won't cower in, in fear of death. Not while I have a chance of winning. I won't let death touch me, and I won't let death touch the ones I love. And even if you end me before I end you, another will take my place, and another, until the wound in the world is healed at last. Right. I feel really cheap ripping that off, because I feel like he does did a better job. But it's especially especially what I like about the the line that when it says, and when they learn, they'll weep to hear that such a thing as death had ever Mm -hmm. once existed. He is telling this this magical abstraction or personification of death that yes i you are so insignificant that people won't even know that you existed until they're you know old Mm. enough and you'll you'll be a a horrible remnant of the past um there's something very i I think it's doctor who about this speech in a in a a very good way like like the sort of this combination of mounting forces and like like a lot of noise i was like picturing in the background and then this like very thought out articulate speech going with it there was something sort of like did well as they like the precursor to the big da-dum. yeah i i i i agree i like that it you know it's it's not just like you know death is terrible and i'm gonna beat it it's that like no in 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 face of um the the potential of humankind you're not just beatable you're nothing we're gonna crush you and you'll be a thing that's forgotten in the past you'll death itself will die beneath the promise of the beneath the fulfilling of the promise of, of humanity. And yeah, and the, the one that stuck out for me right before he says, expect the patron, he says, and people won't have to say goodbye anymore. Did that, how much, that one really like stuck out as some, something about that as being like the the experience of death. Did that one stick out for you? That yeah, absolutely. Us, like saying goodbye. Because I don't know, it's because there's something very sort of non-obvious about that being the thing to associate with death. But like, that made yeah, it I think- personal. It, it does. Um, you know, it's, you know, we, I, I don't know how much time to spend on it, but it's worth pointing out that I think before I read this chapter, the reason that it had me, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, not quite sobbing, but crying enough where I could still read. The reason that this hit me so hard the first time that I read it was because I already read um, the the author's brother had died, uh, I don't know, some years before this was written. Mm-hmm. And I'd read his eulogy to his brother, and it was very touching. Um and, you know, uh, I have a brother that I care a lot about. And so it's very easy for me to imagine the horrible thought of having to say goodbye that way. And holy shit, does that pack a punch? And so mm-hmm. if this sounded like it was coming from a personal place, I think it really was. Um, 
And I think that's that's part of what helped it really work. It's the uh, that, and I think that the fact that you know the author also sees this as I I get the this is one of those like the the character being a mouthpiece for the author mm-hmm. um, situations where I think it it kind of works because it also perfectly suits Harry. Like if it seemed really out of character or something, that'd be weird. Um, no, yeah, it seems but, good. Well, um, my so my reaction to it, so like, and it was mixed because like on part of it, especially like the the like the build up, like describing like basically like the promise of humanity, and then sort of it's almost like like he loads that gun and then he's pointing it. Uh, and, and fires when he, when he then talks about like what, what the end of death would mean. Um, so that, like that was working. That was powerful. But like what was nagging in the back of my head was the, the level of kind of like it seemed to lack a, um, not, not that it completely lacked, but like it, it was more like an abstract concept of death and less like the kind of gut experience of the thing. And I remember but like the, the thing that really stuck out for me was, as I was thinking about this later, I remember thinking like, as I was thinking like, oh, it just seemed like too abstract and kind of cerebral, like an attack on, on this like dry concept rather than like like a real emotional connection to it. I'm like, I, I wish, you know, that, you know, and the, the thought I had was like, oh, he's an 11 year old kid. He doesn't really have like a, you know, a big, you know, any kind of gut appreciation for for the concept of death and i thought that thought out loud and i'm like wait a minute he's an orphan like he has a very very um personal uh experience with death and so then that made me think oh but that so then it, mu- it didn't come out at least for like for me i didn't like feel and i so i would have liked more uh like harry making this very sort of like gut level for himself of like i wish like there the we had heard him more about and because like his experience of not not having his parents around he didn't experience like their death because it was something that just sort of like happened off stage for him but like even that's part of it and like what like if we had walked through harry's brain about what did this mean for him personally and tie all of this like really powerful stuff we could have tied it to that like less cerebral version of this and have that be also in like the force of this like like rage and like righteous triumph against death like if that was also tied to like a very like his personal like and you fucker stole my parents um because that that's that's part like that didn't feel like that was there like a like a personal loss and like all this other like there's so many um you know bits to like how death can can affect people um that was the part that 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 felt missing to me and i think also like part of this is colored by like like for my the the way i've been sort of puzzled by the like philosophical way people I've been going off and people calling them deathists. Um, it feels like, like this weird kind of tribal, um, like just finding some weird war on Christmas, um, kind of <laughs> argument to have with people. Um, like if, so that feels like, oh, this isn't like, at least from like, this is at least on some level, not really about the thing you're saying it's about anymore. It's just a thing to argue about. Um, and so that was like in an intruding because I think like obviously like that's going to be that's to some extent going to be true with it, with anybody about any subject. But like that kept sort of intruding into here was um, like, oh, this feels like it's like the gut level emotional connection to this thing is kind of being clouded over with just this sort of. And and again, like this is what I'm thinking about and talking about, like this is a book written um, under the microscope of the seething horde. Um, like that, that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of thing that would, um, get burned up in that magnifying glass is like that, like more raw emotional connection to this kind of stuff 
isn't going is like more vulnerable to just being shit on by by people as they're like criticizing it and then you're going to be left kind of like dried out in this kind of more cerebral part of it and that that being said like he's still like this this still really like that whole like like the promise of humanity and one day we'll just like be puzzled at the idea that there ever was such a thing as death like that was working on me but i guess like these were that that was the thing that was like nagging and like felt missing i'm like oh it's kind of like some of that thunder was stolen because of the lack of personal connection, or yeah, like, personal, yeah, know. and that, like in the way that, yeah, that it that it felt cerebral. Um, I, and I that, can yeah. see that. I think part of me thinks that was intentional because I do like what you're saying that it would have been nice, like if he has one thought about his parents about how, like when he's thinking warm and happy things about how when he's remembering McGonagall telling him that they died like heroes protecting him and they had. Um, if if there had been a line saying "and fuck you for killing my parents," um, that would have been in there. I think. Yeah. My read on it, if when you when you phrased it that way, I was thinking about it because luckily you put that in the notes and gave me enough time to think about it. So like, um, part of me thinks that was on purpose. Uh, that this because his the his um, his pushback, his his uh, his defiance here isn't just personal. It's 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 humanity will stop you even if I can't. And so like while he while he plans to while that's his goal, he says that. If I even if you end me before I end you, someone else will take yeah. my place. And yeah, so, I like, like that. It, so it, it, I wonder if he could have done this if he just thought of, if the thought was purely "fuck you" for killing my parents. No, see, that's the thing. Not just so, not that it because like the that intellectual part of it is like also true, and and but and also important. Like it, if that were missing, this also would, then it would just be some guy pissed off that his parents were dead. Like, like the both of them and the, but the both of them combined, that would, that would have been the cool part of it would be because then they would like multiply each other. Yeah, no, totally. I wasn't trying to, to reduce yeah. what you said down to uh, that, that minimalist version. I was just thinking <laughs> like, um, I, I was, I was posing the hypothetical without letting you know, I was jumping to hypothetical that I wonder if it would have worked as purely a revenge thing. And I don't think it would, but you're right. Yeah. Some combination thereof might've, might've been, yeah. might've worked. And that's too. even part of like, that's like the, the. And, you know, and, and to some extent it was, I like, so we worked like some, and like I said, that line about like, we wouldn't have to say goodbye, goodbye anymore. Like that feels like that is a little bit connected uh, to that. And, so, and it does work and it does work on that level, but it feels like that, that part was like, I wanted the volume turned up more on the, like the non-rational, like, because they, because they complement each other. They're not like in conflict, um, but it feels like, like one was turned down in order to turn the volume up on the other. And I think it like robbed the, the sum of those, those things um, of some of like the power that it, that it would have had. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. And I fully agree that, that, you know, strong emotion and rationality aren't, aren't in conflict at all. Yeah. It's, um, you know, only to the extent that you're not thinking clearly or you're, you know, um, you're mad at something that isn't real or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I like that. I, you know, I, I I guess I'll have to take time off air to like reread this slowly and think <laughs> where I could sh- where I could put that in because you're right it 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 is uh it's more abstract. Yeah. What 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 is what is interesting about really like the whole thing after he uh, like other than his specific references, I guess everything basically after he says expect a patronum, it's none of it is um, personal at all. Yeah, and it's it's explicitly this could be anybody. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's, I get, I get the feeling that was intentional, um, but I get, I get what you're saying yeah. that it might have landed harder. Well, yeah, because if, thing, it was, like, if, if, it like, if he says all, like, don't, don't not say any of those things. But if he says all that, and then like maybe he wraps that up and then ties it back to, and you fucker, you stole my parents. Like that just like then like slams it home and um, like it like adds to it. Like 
puts puts yeah. punch behind it. No, I, li- I like um, that. I think that's a good good interpretation. And what, uh, but then what also what I thought too is like that's a different, and again, like not not a, an additional thing that we could have looked at. Like a lot of this talking about death didn't get on that side of like Harry. That isn't. It's almost. It's like a different kind of loss that that Harry would have gone through is the thing he never had. Um, which is, I think, at least for me, like not a way that we talked about death in, in the way he's been talking about it, um, didn't, but that's like another way that death sucks. Um, and that, that, and, and a way that, uh, that Harry could have talked about that would have also felt like very like connected to the story and, the, and that character of, of that way is like, oh, you know, there's just, is that like in my head, like death is part of just this like broader concept of just like entropy kind of sucks. Like, you know, you can't unstir your cup of coffee and then we're all like decaying and our cells aren't copying as well. And then we die. Um, like that's all kind of tied together. And like that. And so because like that experience of not having grown up with his parents would have been not felt almost as much as death is just sort of like, you know, bad shit happens. And I got robbed of having kind of the same um, parent experience as everybody else, even though, you know, he likes his adoptive parents, blah, blah, blah. But, um, like that could have been a, like tied into the story and the plot and the character and in a way that we didn't, didn't even really talk about because it would also have been like another valid way in which death sucks. Um, and uh, yeah. that, that he also could have been expecto patroning, patroning that at the same time. So. Yeah. I like that. I, um, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that that's a, um, I don't know what to say other than, <laughs> other than that's a really cool thought and I totally, see what you're saying um i i like i said i'll have to go through slowly and see like where i could have where if i was writing this i could inject that um but it i i do i I agree that 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 could have added a another um uh a little more thrust behind that rocket right um anyway i don't know if we came right out and said or not but at the end of it everyone's staring at him and they're all looking at him like they just seen him kill a dementor and then the chapter ends saying the tattered cloak lay empty within the cage because he just killed a dementor that's right that made me think too i'm not not sure how to like really to call it but that way like there's like a little bit of snark to the way he's like oh they're looking at him as if he just killed a dementor because he just killed a dementor there's something about that i don't know if like fan fictiony is the is the right word to describe it but like that feels like and the other ways that where he's just sort of like funny and snarky and it totally works i really like it and it feels for reasons i can't really articulate like that's not a way of writing that you would see in a book you would buy in a bookstore um and i'm not really sure like why and why wouldn't you i don't know um but that like i like it there's something sort of like informal um like clever i don't know there's something about that voice to it that it's like, oh, why don't we see this in more places? And he doesn't I'm wondering, it. yeah, I'm wondering if it's like purely the technical reason that like, I, I, that can't be it. I mean, books are basically the same, but yeah. like, you know, because with a lot of you know, uh, serial fiction online, you're reading it by scrolling a web page or scrolling on your phone. Yeah. And so every every next line is coming one at a time. But as long as you're reading a book correctly, yeah, that's how no, books yeah, are read too. Yeah, it's more just like like the... And snarks almost almost diminishes it, but there's like a like a playfulness to it, and then like part maybe part of it is maybe like the winking to the audience part of it. it feels like there's a connection to the maybe it does feel like that back and forth connection. Um, part, I mean, it's really it's I'm not even if I could describe it, it wouldn't be. Um, it's it's kind of a a, light, a vague concept anyway, but 
Um, but yeah, I guess the part that puzzled me about it is it doesn't seem like there's a reason that um, that you couldn't do it. But I wonder maybe if it is that stuff that's born of a more like back and forth relationship with your audience, whereas like a book that's like published is kind of this thing that just gets sort of thrown out into the world all at once. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to speculate that about on that at some point. Uh, maybe next week would actually be a good time to do that. And we're doing the retro episode. We can talk yeah. about what kind of works. I mean, pull with up some that. of the, yeah. Cause I mean, and he does a really good job with it and, the, uh, and he does it quite a bit and it really works well. So. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's keep that on. Let's put a pin in that for next week when we're talking with, uh, with, uh, Cron Oblivion about, um, cause, cause that's the guy doing all these awesome write-ups, uh, every week. Do on we call him Cron or Mr. Oblivion? I will have to ask him what he likes. <laughs> um, I, Lord yeah. Oblivion? I think Cron Oblivion is, I mean, it's doable, but four syllables for a name is a lot. So I'm calling Cron for short. Um, Mr. Cron. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I did like what uh, one thing that, you know, about like the kind of like segmented way of dividing up that, that last chapter is that it's not revealed until the last sentence what exactly happened. Yeah. Like they were all looking at him, you know, it's like, Alba Stumbledore was staring at him. Professor Quirrell was staring at him. The Aura Trio was staring at him. They were all looking at him like they'd just seen him destroy a Dementor. And then the last line, the reveal, the tattered cloak lay empty within the cage. You know, I actually remember um, this This did, did uh, get some minor reworking between the first publishing and uh, really? like later on. I think the tattered cloak lay empty within the cage was higher up. Mm. Um and so you get this kind of like as a as a drop, but everything's kind of still moving, so you're reading along, and it's not you know, if you if you pause in that line, you're like, wait, you killed it, but in this one, in in the revised version, it happens at the end. Right at the end. Um, oh, it was funny, like because uh, even when I read it, I like I didn't believe it. Like I had to be like, I think I even like went back and read sentences before, which didn't like help understand it anymore but it was like i get like in a good way like the, sh- the shock of it like oh no you can't really you didn't really i must be misunderstanding that's that's um, so perfect that's exactly what everyone yeah. in the book was thinking yeah. too <laughs> yeah, which is funny too because it's pretty it's kind of on it i mean he doesn't just straight up say and the dementor was dead but it's a fairly unambiguous image about what it means um but yeah was a, so he did a good job of like making it that, that kind of communicates the you know the gravity of what he just did that you don't even want to believe he was able to do it yeah no that's awesome i'm I'm really glad to hear that self-report because yeah like the the incredulity of it um it's it's exactly what all the other characters are experiencing too so it sounds like it landed just like it was supposed to that's awesome um all right, you ready to move on to chapter 46? Sure, so this is a short one, too. Is this a short one or does it just feel short? I can't remember now. Uh, it's fairly short both. now. Yeah. Um, and I think, as usual, because we're hitting two hours within chapter two, you know, people say that we, we're moving slowly through this book. I think uh, part of that is that when we do a handful of chapters, then usually the last one gets kind of, like, rushed because um, mm. then it's two hours and everyone's ready for a break. So by everyone, I mean me. Um <laughs> But I will try and take my time, and we'll give this chapter okay. justice. I, don't, I, I think that this chapter is a we're okay to the, the, the meat of of this week we've covered. This is kind yeah. of the, this is the aftermath. Does it really call it an aftermath? This is just sort of like the tie bow. It's not. It. It's not called aftermath, but there are several sections mm-hmm. titled aftermath, and uh, yes, yeah, so this is like all right. All this stuff happened. What's the fallout? Yeah. Um, and so, like you know the. 
the quick version of well, I, I, first, I drove yeah, the last first one, chapter. Yeah, the, you drove so this the one. first one, in which which I found puzzling. Oh, wait, sorry, could I interject okay. something yeah. really quick before uh, on the last chapter in the notes? I'd put in parentheses, we can read as much of his inner monologue while Dementor slaying as you want. And then I ended up reading like the, the entire things. fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're on chapter 46. I think everybody liked it. So we'll be okay with I, uh, having we'll it see. read some more. Um, yeah. So it, gets, so it starts out, it is sort of like the, like, get the sense of like smoke settling to the ground um, as all going. And, uh, and so it, and it kind of starts out like the first thing. It's, so Harry's like, okay, like Harry's feeling better. And, and then like the joke, he says, I didn't pull it as an actual quote. He's like, he feels like he just wanted to thud to the ground. And then he hears a thud on the ground um, as Quirrell has uh, just knocked out all three oars. And then Dumbledore like thanks him and uh, says that like, he'll take care of erasing their memories after the fact. That one struck me as weird because it didn't, they didn't like, like I guess I figured it out that um like oh they don't want like Harry just killed a Dementor nobody even thought that was possible so we got to like keep this hush hush but I, didn't, I was puzzled by that. I'm like wait is that is that the why because it seemed like a like a big leap to jump to is like the definitely should be done right now without anybody needing to discuss it um but and then and then Quirrell is super what he does is like in the Quirrell way of being super impressed he tries not to act super impressed. Um, he says, I will admit a good, omit a good deal of useless incredulity, remarks to the effect that Merlin himself failed to do that, etc. Let us go straight to asking the important question, what the sweet slithering snakes was that? I like that yeah. expletive. <laughs> sweet um, slithering snakes. I mean, Harry calls it the Patronus charm 2.0, um, which I like. And then Dumbledore nerd, is just like, I rejoice to see that your usual self again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, the, my headset didn't quite catch everything you said before that. So you were talking about how Quirrell and Dumbledore, um, yeah, the like, way and I, I actually, I, silently I didn't quite, that it was, I didn't quite get what, um, what they were doing at first. I had to like go back and I'd rewind a sentence and, and read it again that, that Quirrell was, was knocking out the aurors so that Dumbledore could erase their memories and that that was just kind of this unspoken thing between them. Um, that of course that needed to be done. And at least to me, like, it didn't seem like that was an, like, I could see the argument as to why that needed to be done, but it didn't seem like an, of course that needs to be done. Um, but then, then that was yeah. sort of the, like, oh, the, the knowing thank you between two experts of doing the thing that is very, you know, doing the thing that two experts would know they should do. So that was how I read it every time up until this one, I think. And then, uh, there's this, there's one line where you said, you know, it's amazing that they kind of both decided the same thing. Like, hey, let's knock out these cops and mess with their brains mm-hmm. um, without verbalizing it. And then I was thinking, you know what? Maybe they did verbalize it because there's a line where it says uh, that the, head, the old wizard's head turned for a moment and locked eyes to Professor mm-hmm. Quirrell, then looked back to Harry. So as long as I'm putting on my paranoid hat, we, d- we just saw him have a, a, you know, dialogue with Hermione without talking. Yeah. Um, See, maybe they were like, having a conversation. I mean, yeah, and maybe, maybe this is like another, like... Uh effect of writing with a microscope from your audience but like like if that if that's really what happened like you don't need to like hide it from me in a tiny little sentence like tell like tell me and then i it don't go hey been, wait a minute what and you make it might not have been me. what happened and it's yeah. also from harry's point of view um because i'm sure like the a chat room full of people reading it are now going to tell each other how obvious it was that that's the case well, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can we, we can gauge public response. I'm not sure if they did this because it was the sensible thing to do and they're both sensible people or if they were like, hey, should I knock out those cops? Yeah, totally. Knock out yeah. those cops. 
Um, I'm kind of curious what people think the the idea that they had like deliberately had that exchange didn't occur to me until this read through. So I'm mm-hmm. curious what everyone else thinks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that, that sentence does make it look like that. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Cause I wouldn't, the old wizards had turned for a moment, locked eyes at professor Coral, then looked back to Harry. Yeah. I, mean, I guess. Yeah. There's I, almost kind of like, that's gotta be the reason that it's there. Not necessarily. Well, but, I mean, yeah. it, well, it could also just be a knowing glance, you yeah. know, um, you know, like the same way, you know, you imagine two cops, you know, they're cornering somebody in a room or whatever. If you watch a cop movie, one looks at the other and nods. They both know what that means, right? Yeah. This could have been something like yeah, that. that. Uh, and there's no telepathy at all with the imaginary cop scenarios. So, As far as you um, know. Right, yeah. Maybe maybe that comes with the badge and gun telepathy. That that would explain... Uh, yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> I was, I was going to make a joke about like, yeah, that would explain why they're still like flawless in their execution of stuff. But um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, so so they want to know. So and this is what Coral's saying. They're like, "How the hell did you do this?" Um, and Harry's about to tell them, and then you know, actually, that this does at least make me think. Like, because I mean, this goes back to that idea that I keep harping on. Like, it does not seem to me a foregone conclusion that the best way to uh, cope with dangerous ideas in the world is just to make sure that only the right people know them. Um, which I'm sure is the way that a proponent of that idea would phrase it. But um, right. that, like, that, like they immediately jumped to that, like, oh, okay, Harry just killed the Dementor. Nobody knows, nobody even knew that was possible. We definitely can't let anybody know that that just happened because that's clearly the only logical conclusion to arrive at. Um, yeah, it's it's not entirely clear to me what false memories they're going to put in the, the yeah. ors. Well, I think it's um, possible to just like make them, like they can make them think anything, yeah. They could make him think that, like, yeah. that, like he, yes, he cast a Patronus and he was fine. Like, so, um, so they can make him think anything. So that would, that would be a fairly yeah. innocuous one. It's like, okay, good. Harry, like, through gumption and grit, was able to actually come up with a Patronus just like anybody else could and nothing to see here. Yeah. I think for me, it's more, it's more interesting that, like, um, the fact that Harry cast a Patronus or even maybe necessarily the fact that he killed one isn't really the dangerous knowledge. The dangerous knowledge here is the thought that he used to cast it, which he, that's what he refrains from explaining, um, or that he refused, that he refrains from articulating rather. Yeah. Um, but that wouldn't be that, like, that wouldn't be why they had to, um, knock out the oars. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's kind of confusing because, yeah. um, they might've knocked them out, you know, after Harry said that and then like, all right, hold on. Now we've got to close the lid yeah. on this. But if, if word got out that, Hey, you know, you know, the boy who lived, who killed the, the Dark Lord? Well, it turns out he can also kill Dementors. Who'd have thunk it? Um, mm. That would just be this piece of knowledge for people to absorb, you know, about Harry's legend or something, right? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's what to me, like, it doesn't... Like, you're like, well, none of that feels like, oh, my dear God, we can't let anybody possibly find out that I would be like, okay, well, what... I mean, yeah, I'm sure there would be... There's always unintended consequences to things, but, but that's, like, not a... It's not very clearly obvious that horrible things would happen if all of that knowledge came to light. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, we'll know. move on. But yeah, so so they're like asking him and then Harry's about to tell them how he did it. And then he's like, and then he is doing the thing we were just talking about. He's like, oh, well, we can't possibly tell anybody because that would be bad. Um, well, yes. I mean, he does say that uh, he thought of his rejection of death as the natural order. And that's what let him cast the charm yeah. that way. But then uh, even Quirrell's like, you know, even I know that's not how it works. Um, but it was fun. The, the, the comedic bit there is that he gave them comment tea first Mm -hmm. and they spit up over themselves. And then they, that says, but then the two of them each, or, uh, 
I'll just read the whole, the whole paragraph. Um, it might not have been the warm kind of feeling he needed to cast the Patronus charm, but it was going to Harry's top ten nonetheless. <laughs> the, looks he, the looks he got from the defense professor and headmaster briefly made Harry nervous as the spilled comet tea faded out of existence. But then the two of them glanced at each other and both apparently decided that they couldn't, do, they couldn't get away with doing anything truly awful to Harry mm-hmm. in the other's presence. That, top ten, that's, that line is another, another line like that, that going into his top ten. There's something about that way like you wouldn't see that in a normal the quote normal book and and why because it's that's a funny line it's an awesome way to do that i mean i'm sure Sounds like just, we need better yeah. we need better normal books is what i'm hearing so um yeah so he uh, edited by reddit yeah i think part of it <laughs> is that uh well i don't think he took a lot of feedback that way i think no. some, some of the edits he made were just more like no nah, i i think um I, I i this is also back in the day when he if you read this um I'm not sure. I'm sure there's an archive of the author's notes somewhere, but they used to come with uh, author's notes at the beginning of every chapter. And, you know, he'd explain, you know what, I was rushing on the last one and I had this almost formed, but I wanted to get it out. So I went back and tweaked this or whatever. Um, I I can't remember anything where he said I was convinced by the mob to change this. But of course, if he was, he wouldn't say (laughs) that. So. Well, that's uh, and a lot of this, like there'd be things that would get altered that wouldn't you wouldn't even think yourself that you were altering. It's just, yeah, there's just a lot of like editing yourself and censoring yourself. That's like there's maybe there would be parts that would be conscious conscious to you, but there would just be you know a thousand little details that got nudged half an inch. Yeah, I think that's that's more how this yeah. worked. Um, anyway, so yeah, like you said, then uh, after um, Professor Kroll says, even I know that's not how it's supposed to work, and Dumbledore says, indeed, explain. And then Harry uh, opens his mouth and then the realization hit him and he uh, rapidly snapped it shut mm-hmm. again. And so like the reason that he didn't tell them isn't uh, like just because, oh, no, wait, this is strong. People shouldn't know you know dangerous stuff. But because he has the understanding that like, wait a minute, the reason that I did this was because I understood Dementors in a way that other people don't. And once you realize how it works, the animal form of the Patronus would never work for you again. And so he was like, I can't just like start blurting this out because people re- rely on the Patronus charm to repel Dementors. And so if I run around telling people how what, what's really going on here and they don't have the right kind of mindset or upbringing or whatever to turn on Dementors and destroy them, then suddenly they're a huge threat rather than, you know, the scary thing mm-hmm. that we repel with a shield. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yes, that's that's a consistent argument. It just doesn't hit for me. I'm like, eh, eh. Yeah, fair enough. I I don't know how to. Um, I mean, I. It makes sense to me if if it if it makes sense to yeah, you. Yeah, it makes it like makes sense when I'm like I just no nah. <laughs> it I mean, makes if you sense, were Harry, but I don't, it's like I'm I'm unswayed. If you were Harry, would you tell them how it was done and risk them not you know risk Dumbledore not being able to cast Patronus anymore? Well, clearly, I I mean, so my read on that would be like you don't know that you're just like guessing that maybe, and it seems like it conveniently fits with the idea that oh here's a thing that I know and people other people don't. So, or that like those two, like of anybody in the world that he could tell, he could probably trust those two. Okay, maybe he can't trust the possibly Voldemort character, but um, <laughs> but like like the only I, the great and powerful boy who lived and qualified to have this knowledge, like he could probably tell a Dumbledore and get some feedback from Dumbledore about whether or not other people ought to know. Yeah, he does consider telling uh quarrel because quarrel already can't cast the animal yeah. uh version so like he wouldn't be in any more risk of knowing how to really do it yeah. um, i guess that's probably like why that the whole that idea strikes me as odd because it's like well a there's like a a 
a, uh, it's like a grandiosity to the thing. Like, oh, only I slash we are the ones qualified to have that. Like, it just, it strikes me as the kind of idea that you would suddenly have the exact opposite opinion if it was determined that you are not among the people that should be on that Jedi Council. Um, like, it's, yeah, so it's far the we idea, it's examples. the pro-Jedi Council idea that the Jedi Council is very in favor of. Yeah, we haven't seen the examples yet of Harry being told, "Sorry, you're not. You're yeah. not. You, were, you need to be. You need, this is above your current access yeah. level." There have been a um, couple times. I don't. It wasn't so much specifically about like oh, knowledge being like held back, but there have been a couple times where he did seem to be like like he was okay with authority being exercised on him because it made sense to him that it was. But now, having said that, that's the reason why it's like well, because he agrees, then it's okay. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. It also, I, it just like keeps sticking with me because it just seems like, and maybe it just does, maybe other people don't see it that way, but the idea of being able to lock down information and that that is the way you will be able to manage anything, anything beyond like, you know, the, the blueprints for the nuclear bomb. <laughs> like once it gets beyond, once it gets to any kind of more abstract level than that, it just seems like such an untenable approach to addressing the problem that it's like, really? That's how you think that would work? But anyway, we've talked about this before. Yeah, I guess the only thing I'll add, as long as we're rehashing that a little bit, is that there is literally a magical uh, interdict over the world that helps that happen. I guess so. Um, So like the, you know, Merlin himself made it impossible for dangerous knowledge we passed along in a book. So... It had to be passed along consciously from one person meaning to tell someone else about it. See, that's what's um, weird, though, because it seems like this idea is pretty, like, put there as the, like, oh, we're supposed to generalize that as being, you know, a good idea for the real world. Like, but if, oh, yeah. If, not, if you, I'm if you not need, if you need an interdictive thing. Merlin to make the idea not silly in Wizard World, then... Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm thinking of it just purely in terms of the story, where yeah. it sounds like, you know, if any 11-year-old idiot with a stick could split a planet in half, we should probably make it hard for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't maybe I, yeah. so let me ask then does it because it feels to me and definitely a big reason why um, I keep harping on when it comes up because it feels like a not only a a fact about this plot right now it feels like it's a thing that is intended to be um, sort of like generalized like oh this is an idea about how the not not necessarily like oh this is how all things should be done but but like this is an idea like oh maybe we should like you know worry about artificial intelligence like like he's trying to like it's it is a metaphor for real things or does it does it strike you as that or does it does it to you just seem like a like a, oh this is just the thing in this plot and not meant to like be part of a larger thing um it's hard to say like this is definitely the most metatextual read-through of this book i've ever seen <laughs> um <laughs> so like when i when i read it before it's hard for me to now parse like what I thought and like if I thought that made sense in the real world, real, mm-hmm. real world or not. Like I know that I believed that dangerous ideas existed, that there is such a thing as knowledge that is dangerous, um, and that if if you discover something dangerous, it's probably a bad idea to post that on Reddit. I think the example I used to use was like if I learned how to synthesize smallpox out of ingredients I can find in my garage, I probably shouldn't post a recipe on today I learned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like that that's always made sense to me. Like whether or not this is a real thing that can happen in the real world um, seems like unless you're doing something small and tight, no. Like it, it was, uh, you know, they used the example in the book of like the atomic bomb. Like was it smart mm-hmm. to publish that knowledge for the world? Probably not. Um, let's be real that it, 
if it was hard, if, if the only way to get to uh, the capacity to build nuclear bombs, if the only way to get there was to do it the hard way and figure it out, there'd probably be fewer of them out there, right? Uh, since, since the procedure is published and, and anyone wants to build an atomic bomb and can acquire the right ingredients can just do it, um, that's that's a less desirable state of affairs. So like if you're rewriting history to say, wouldn't it have been better if there was a precedent like there is in the fictional universe I'm writing here, um, like the Interdict of Merlin, wouldn't it be cooler, uh, or not cooler, wouldn't it be uh, a safer, better world if there was some security on dangerous stuff? But like I'm with you that it's it's uh, seemingly ar- well not seemingly arbitrary because it's 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 not like oh sorry you have to have at least ten thousand dollars then I'll tell you the secret yeah. you know and and you can join my church it's more like um, you have to be a scientist you have to be able to figure this out and I can't imagine that the proportion of people who are capable of inventing an atomic bomb from scratch and also have a desire to blow up a continent. I can't imagine that Venn diagram overlaps yeah. very much. Well, all. and there's a, like, and then who decides? Like the whole thing, like just falls apart immediately with like when you once you get into the sloppy ugliness of well, how would you actually carry that out? That's kind of when it all falls apart. It's like, well, who decides? Well, you know, scientists. Well, then who are the scientists? Well, then we'll be. I mean, then as you start to like try to like actually put you know concrete methods onto that general concept. It, you run into all kinds of problems and then you trying to adapt to those problems starts to look a lot like the way it is now. It's just going to be some ugly fucked up, you know, political process with all kinds of unintended consequences. And yeah, no, it's definitely was that. that and then on top of that, yeah. like, and it's not going to work very well. Like that stuff is going to leak out anywhere. You're going to, you're going to go to a lot of trouble and cause all kinds of political mess and not really get anywhere near your goal anyway. Yeah. I don't get me wrong. I think you're right. Yeah. Like it, 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 wouldn't work as cleanly as it does without a magical interdict yeah. of Merlin in exactly, the real yeah. world. Um, and I think like, only- but it like totally does work for like the plans for that kind of bomb, like that very like small circumscribed thing. You can't like lock that down, but like, but that's the thing, like how to make a nuclear bomb that wasn't like a thing that was, you know, a thousand little, little discoveries made along the way, which couldn't have been made if, you know, if everybody was having to like, you know, well, so that, their, that's their knowledge. So. Yeah, so I mean, like, that's sort of the filter. Like, I guess you can tell other scientists about your work. Yeah, because there's not one person on the Manhattan Project. Well, I take that back. Maybe there was. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Richard Feynman knew every step <laughs> of how to build an atomic bomb from, you know, mining the stuff in the mountains to turning it into a, a ready-made to ready-made nuclear explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, it So, I mean, if, if the only filter you have is you have to be able to do it yourself— uh, that that sounds almost cut and dry, but um, I was just talking about how we still have to cover the last chapters, so <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll table that. But I, I do I do find that interesting, and it is something that I I don't mind coming up over and over because it keeps coming up over and over in the yeah. book, and it's it's repeatedly interesting to think yeah. about. Well, and so. as, I mean, as we were talking about, I'm like, oh, do you think that's something that he's trying to generalize? It's like as we were talking about that, that like he has written about this stuff specifically in reference to artificial intelligence research. So I think this is a a an idea that he's purposely putting in here so yeah and it's it sounds like really like, do you really do? Like, yeah it's, just, it's like, not just not fringe work. it's not so fringe that he's the only one who thinks yeah. that like if this comes out you know if we start building artificial general intelligences um 
like that's gonna like that's a thing that's just gonna happen five times yeah. over and over or something hypothetical well, that that like, and that they, it's not that like oh like I'm sure I don't know enough about it but like the idea that that's incredibly dangerous and really really bad things might happen is like sure I could totally believe that it's like okay but now like the fact that that's true does not mean and then we have to sit on the knowledge is that the way to solve that problem like that's it does not necessarily follow from that. Yeah, I think it, it's it just gets uh, the the real short version. We'll we'll come we'll we'll circle back at some point to this, but on just to put a quick cap on it, that the especially with the case of well, really, I guess anything that if you're rushing with competitors to try and get to the solution of something, a hard problem like artificial general intelligence. Mm-hmm. The people who are putting the less to- like the least effort on like, hey, let's be super careful. Uber, they, they'll probably they'll probably get there first. Uber's gonna run somebody over in Arizona. Yeah, but that's not that's not AGI. That's just stupid self driving yeah. cars. Well, it's the same phenomenon. Um, it's the like, oh my god, everybody like it's a huge race of technology, and their and the goal is super desirable, and cutting corners helps. So they right, do, yeah. Like, so yeah, if that's totally if there true. was if there's some you know moratorium on like nope we can't do this until it's done exactly right and ensure that no one gets killed by a self-driving car um that would that sure would be nice if we make that happen but we can't yeah. uh so what, what does happen is the people who put the least restraints on it and just you know try to get to the the finish line as fast as possible you know casualties be damned they're probably going to get there first mm-hmm. and that's that's the scary thing when it comes to um the next big uh scary technological breakthrough yeah i mean I totally so, yeah i mean i totally agree that's a, a totally valid point well and like i said like with the uber thing that totally happened yeah um and i mean you know self-driving cars are hard they'll probably hit people even you know once they're really really good once in a while uh i think it's just important to note i'm a big fan of self-driving cars so i'll just point out that they kill a lot less people actually right now they're still they're not still uh they're a little killier than a human so far like deaths per million miles or something but um, I, it's I only that so, like it's and it's not by a huge factor and it's only because they're really not very good at it yet and there's every reason to believe that it will be much the orders of magnitude safer once we get it all working yeah once once they're all nailed out yeah. and it works great i think it'd be just awesome if there weren't steering wheels yeah. and cars anymore and, you no, know it's like or the, if they were the record as of like li- like as of right now the number of accidents and injuries uh compared to the millions of miles that have been uh, driven uh, self-driving cars are a little deadlier than a person, but only are like a little, a little deadlier. Uh, but only because only because if you around. think like how many billions of miles got driven today, right. that's the that's the ultimate like. Thing. Well, less than last month yeah. because everyone's stuck at home. <laughs> yeah, so sure, sure. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, there was. A, I want to keep moving with the chapter. My as I'm mindful of the clock. Um, there was a, a fun line that I liked, or that you liked too. You pulled out because there, Dumbledore is like, "Well, hold on, what am I to tell the Ministry? I can't just you can't just lose a Dementor." <laughs> and then, and then yeah, Quirrell says, "Tell them I ate it." Says the blunt it, object hitting me over the head. Tell them I ate the death. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, I couldn't mean I couldn't figure out what you meant. Says really? in your note, oh, you yeah. said says says the blunt object hitting me over the head. I wasn't sure what you were. Saying so there, yeah, like that went over your head, or like that was too ham fisted, beating, beating me over the head with the the possibly Voldemort character just said that he was eating death. Oh, that's hilarious! Yes. I love that. Oh, you didn't get you have to have gotten that as like the right, as like that's what was being said there. I, I will be honest in that my first read on that, uh, 
if I, it's hard to remember again, my first read on this book was five years ago. Mm-hmm. So like, I can't faithfully recall what it was, but if I had to guess, I'm thinking that I probably just thought that like, it was just this absurd thing. And it's like, you know what? I'm the defense professor. Tell them I did something fucking stupid or fucking insane. And they'll just believe it because defense professors do weird shit. <laughs> and he, he, I thought it was just pure trolling. I, I think, think that's it, probably, probably what I well, thought. Well, I mean, yeah, and it definitely, it, it played as, I mean, it's it's both of those things at the same time. I think probably what made it stick for me is this, it's an odd way to say it. Like of all the things you were going to say about like, oh, I just did some arbitrary thing to get rid of it. Like that's a very oddly specific one uh, to use. So, and then I'm like, oh, A, E, okay. Death, okay, a, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. If you had said, tell them I threw it into the sun, yeah. then that would have been, that I would have also fit bacteria, but not yeah, yours. Yeah. I, see, I see what's going on. Yeah. No, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, then we get our first aftermath, and it's uh, Harry and Professor Quirrell. And I just like how it opens. It's Professor Quirrell says, you are exceptionally good at killing things, my student. And then he says, thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is a very much like Palpatine and, and Anakin mm-hmm. moment. And like, oh, I, hadn't, I, I hadn't thought of that, about that way. I'm, the, I'm gonna, for me, I'm the land, start thinking the land just like Anakin pure comedy, a, like Quirrell knew how cliched that was. Yeah, Harry is Anakin like, is going to be a good This wasn't like, hey, you're a great killer. Well done. Like that is, that's what he's saying. But it's like, this is yeah. not the situation that reflects that. Right. <laughs> um, Harry hasn't demonstrated the fact that he's, that he's a wonderful killer. Um, it was just a funny, I thought for me, that was the funny line that jumped out. It was like, you're exceptionally good at killing things. My student, <laughs> my young apprentice. Young apprentice. <laughs> so anyway. Then that's when Quirrell asks him, hey, you know, were you uh, not just wanting to tell the headmaster? Or can you tell me? And Harry's like, eh, no, I, I shouldn't tell you either. I um, did like when he said, and it did definitely like um, flashback to the first scene, in the first uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts class that like, because Quirrell was like, he said he's not going, he said to Dumbledore, he's like, he said he's not going to tell you, stop like needling him about it. Like, and that played as very sincere like uh Quirrell does take that seriously like you know there's like sort of a code of ethics between wizards and quit fucking with it Hello. yeah no i i, I totally agree dying. um i think that it's it seems to just be an established norm in the world uh yeah. of harry potter here so um yeah and, that, and it if, sticks if, out if as it like weirdly kind of like um like there's all these other ways that we're suspicious of Quirrell. Um, but like this one is like, oh, he's like, he, like that, that comes out as like, oh, he means that. Like that's sincere and ethical. Like it's sincerely ethical. It's, it like sticks out. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Um, then there's also this line that I liked where he said, where Quirrell says, or excuse me, where Harry says to Quirrell, out of curiosity, if bringing a Dementor was uh, to Hogwarts was, had been part of an evil plot, what would have been its goal? assassinate Dumbledore while he was weakened Professor Quirrell said without even hesitating (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was your um your guess from last week but you uh clarified in the comments what you said yeah I was Uh, that that, uh so yeah I thought like okay weakened Dumbledore is probably the goal but like assassinate Dumbledore just doesn't like Dumbledore's plot armor is too thick for that to be the um the goal so it's like it, it had to be something like something that Dumbledore would have defended against he now can't because he's all weak so, okay. Yeah. No, I like that. I and I like that Quirrell had the. Yeah. What I liked. What the reason I called that out was because at least you and Quirrell, or when you put on your your paranoid hat, mm-hmm. you put you had a very similar idea to Quirrell. Yeah. And then I just thought it would be funny if like how hilarious would it be if Quirrell was behind this and it was an evil plot and while Dumbledore was distracted and weakened, he just whipped out a pistol and shot him in the face. And then, yeah, I put pew pew in the in the comments. I did like how Quirrell was like he didn't duck it at all. He's like oh, clearly to kill. Dumbledore, like he didn't. Yeah, obviously. He's like, duh. What do you mean? Didn't it occur to you you could kill Dumbledore right then? 
Right. And then, so then Kroll's laying out like, you know, something clearly was afoot today that, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of pieces that seemed intriguing. Um, and while you're going over your list of suspects, you know, you shouldn't uh, rule out myself or Flitwick. Um, mm-hmm. One notes that Professor Snape canceled all of his classes today, and uh, he's probably powerful enough to become invisible. Um, so, yeah, it's like he's then he says, uh, but most easily of all, Mr. Potter, the deed could have been plotted by Dumbledore himself. And if he did, he might have also taken steps in advance to cast your suspicion elsewhere. So clearly I, I cannot about- drink the glass in front of me. <laughs> what I, yeah, what I like about it though is that it's like he he's Quirrell is being forthcoming with like yeah I mean sure I should be a suspect yeah. but also keep in mind of this this and this and then he goes you know again he yeah he does the old switcheroo and says well if Dumbledore was behind it he would probably try and make you think someone else did it first before he did it and uh, it's just uh, it's it's the level of analysis that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's 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 the stuff that I really like about this. Like it's yep, I think that covered all of it, and that was that was enough yeah. twistiness. That, oh, and it's, that yeah, and it's like me. a like a like in whatever deception Quirrell has got going on, he's confident enough in like in how locked down it is that it's like then then his best move is to be completely transparent and trust in the solidity of whatever he's whatever smokescreen he's put up. Like trust that that's in place, and then you get the payoff of being completely transparent, uh, and you can you know gloss over whatever i mean i don't know what he's hiding other than he's voldemort yeah. like i keep going he's done a really good job of making me think like maybe he's not voldemort but clearly he's voldemort so i don't know and because even if like he's not voldemort he's very clearly like got some like bad shit going on so there's something going on <laughs> and if you put on your paranoid hat even more like if quarrel was behind it and then he could say well then, then he'll set up all of this. He'll pretend to be transparent, and then he'll set up Dumbledore as being the one who is actually mm-hmm. maybe trying to set this up first. So, like, you can just keep going more and more. Uh, you know, you, you can keep climbing the ladder of paranoid mm-hmm. as high as you want, and that's that's what I like about this. The the plots get interesting and, and contrived enough to where you yeah. just to keep you get to keep doing that. Yeah, and, and it's so sort of like a- it makes it a lot of fun watching other stuff or or reading other stuff, and you get to be like, oh yeah, but what if this? And then like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. but what if that? And I find that a really fun exercise, especially when watching uh, like anything with a, a mystery whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and there's uh, something like, like sort of like cool about like the confidence of like being so confident in his deceit that it's okay that like to then just completely sort of like the criminal like walking the the uh, police through the crime scene, pretending to just be an eyewitness or something. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, it's also not clear like what even really happened. Like, yeah. I mean, did so like, like you said, it, the wand ending up next to the Dementor's cage. Um, could Quirrell have orchestrated that? Um, was it an accident? Yeah. You know, w- was this whole rigmarole? Uh, you know, hey Dumbledore, I want to bring a Dementor to Hogwarts. Yes, it's important. All right, let's teach them the, the Patronus charm. All of that was to get Harry's wand next to the cage for 20, yeah. 30 seconds. Um, it's like it's hard to or see if it was all a plot maybe it was a plot that didn't be. quite work or la, 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 yeah i mean it's got to be as we're like talking through it though like so coral lobby to have this uh dementor brought onto the grounds so it's clear like if there's if there's fuckery afoot then it's definitely his so no. uh yeah i mean Yes, but I, I'm already sitting at the top of my ladder of paranoia. So, like, of course, that's what we're supposed to think. Supposed to think. Well, then, right. probably like the other. Uh, <laughs> what was the? There's a show that I that was like so predictably written that I started to enjoy watching it just for that. It was uh, the Mentalist. 
the bad guy in The Mentalist was always the non-repeating act, the, the non-regular actor that appeared after the second commercial who was non-threatening. It was always the bad guy. Um, nice. So whoever is like, it's going to like the bad, there is a bad guy very clearly and it's got to be somebody we already know. So. Yeah, there was a show like that that I, I enjoyed despite it's, again, it's it's recipe called uh, Elementary, which was basically, mm. well, it was Sherlock, Sherlock yeah. but it took place in New York City. Mm. And it was uh, like, the bad guy was always like the second or third person they talked to. Yeah. And the like the third or fourth person they talked to was always dead. Like their first suspect mm. was always dead. Oh, and there's always uh, before you meet the nice guy, you meet an asshole who definitely is not the bad guy. Right. Yeah. And it was like that every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still fun. It was, it was, a, it was a Actually, fun that's show. Actually, that's what I started enjoying about watching it is because they were so, they, they were so faithful to that formula. It then just became fun <laughs> to watch. You're like, it was like, oh, I know it's that guy. I have no idea why I know it's that guy other than like he showed up at the right time. So that's definitely the guy. And, oh, and I'm right again. You're right. You're like, yeah, I've, I've, I've read this one before. All right. Let's see how this, let's see how they put it together this time. Um, let's see. Trying to get back on track. This is also what happens when they go on over two mm-hmm. hours. Um, so Harry and then we says, get to speak, you know, speaking of mystery, then Harry gets all like overly Sherlock with the whole thing. Right? He gets what? Skip, that's when he like starts, he deduces from the color of the mud on somebody's shoes that there was a no that comes after a little bit unfortunately we got a little ways to go because that's the last uh section of the chapter so he he wraps up his thing with quirrell here um and says that hey you know if any other dementor annoys you let me know and i'll introduce i'll introduce it i'll i will introduce it to mr glowy person (laughs) and um Harry says, well, no, I didn't kill. Uh, Quirrell says, you destroyed the Dementor because it threatened me. And he's like, well, I'd sort of decided on it before then. But yes, that would have been sufficient on its own. Um, he's like, oh, Harry, you care. Oh, no, he didn't say that. I mean, yeah, but I yes. think that but yes. might be what's going on there. It's, it's hard to say. Um, it's more just like that, you know, you did this impossible thing because it, it threw some shade at me. It's like, well, uh, no, but I would have if that would have mm-hmm. been enough. Um it, it's at least clear that Quirrell doesn't have a lot of close personal friends that care about him, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we can we can move past the um, the section with oh yeah, so then all the girls sing. Quirrell, yeah. So then there's the this is at least nice and quick to summarize. So aftermath, Daphne Greengrass. This is in the Slytherin common room, and it's this kind of like cute and tropey like. Uh, set up where they're all going to run in and tell everyone what happened but it turns out they'd already heard and um then they're like you know arguing about like well no because it was true love's first kiss and it was it was uh you should have kissed him first and then he would have been in love with you and yeah now that you didn't you know what that makes you the sad little love struck girl who dies at the end of act two (laughs) i just think it's a really uh like because everyone watches plays and no one watches movies in the wizarding world and i think that's a funny way of phrasing it um I, yeah, like, like the, I like the subtext to this, or at least to me, like the, the subtext felt like um, like this is in defense of Hermione, not like these characters, but like this is the plot coming to the defense of Hermione to actively tell us, no, it would be fucking stupid if we just turned Hermione into that character in this story. So we're not going to. I like that. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, again, um, am bad at reading anything beyond surface level. So <laughs> that didn't jump out at me, but you're right. That. If if this serves a purpose, I think that's a yeah. really good. Or even for, like, yeah, even like, if it's not a purpose, like you could just like imagine like if you're writing, if you were writing this story and you like have made that really awesome character and you know and he's clearly like hinted like he knows this is what he's you know, like waving his hand near 
um, that you would just sort of enjoy doing this part where you're like, no, that would be fucking stupid. Let me show you. Um, <laughs> let, let me demonstrate yeah. how stupid that would be if I did that to this awesome character I made. No, totally. And I, I, I like what you're saying, though, that um, I think maybe if I'd ever written, I wrote one, one, I wrote one short story once, which I should do a little more just as exercise. There's actually a great doof podcast called Do the Right Thing, right spelled as in writing. Um, That's Matthias. And they, uh, it, podcast, they right? spit out four random words uh, after each episode. And you're just supposed to spend 30 minutes writing a short story that contains those four random words. And then they go over uh, some or most of them during the next podcast. So cool. if you're, if you want, I will, I will commit to doing a do the right thing at some point in the next, <sighs> see, it's hard. It was easy to say I plan on doing it sometime, but Millions. if I commit to doing a time frame, then I have to actually do it. Um, I will get one done in the next three weeks. I will, I will write a submission to do the right thing just so I can get to practice writing stuff. Um, okay, Cause you're right. Like pressure. there, there's no reason to write something. If you're, you know, why would you take up the time it takes to write it, the page space it takes up if you don't have a purpose for it? Yeah. And I, I like what you're saying that like, no, this, this serves to, to just tell the audience without putting a, met, you know, a meta author note saying, I'm not going to yeah. romance love interest Hermione. How do you do that in the story? Will you do it like this? Yeah. Or even, you know, and it wouldn't even like, there may not even be the explicit goal to like, okay, let's make sure that the reader knows blah, blah, blah. It would just be like, if you're in yourself invested in this character that you really like and you don't want that to happen to her, then you would just enjoy writing this scene. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point too. I, again, yeah, it's probably I, a little I, both. The, the reason like, I, oh, I like digressed on do the right thing is because uh, I, I don't write stuff, so it's really hard for, for me to put myself in the, the headspace of an mm -hmm. author. Um, and yeah, that that what you just said also makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> All right. So All right. Aftermath, Hermione Granger. It, she gets this the short little one where she's looking uh, at a wax sealed paper on the surface of which was inscribed simply the number 42, which we all get the reference to. Yes. Um and uh it looks like there's an accompanying note or maybe she's thinking back on something he said. Um but he says, I figured out why we couldn't cast the Patronus term, Hermione. It doesn't have anything to do with us not being happy enough. But I can't tell you. I couldn't even tell the headmaster. It needs to be more secret than partial transfiguration, at least for now. But if you ever do need to fight Dementors, the secret is written here, cryptically, so if someone doesn't know it's about Dementors and the Patronus charm, they won't know what it means. And uh, this is actually thing, like nice. If she actually can't, if she already can't cast a Patronus charm, then what would be the danger of telling her? He's ready to tell her. He oh, gave okay. her the instructions. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, she's just... I, I, I really like this whole little section because it it illustrates um, kind of like what we were talking about with Harry in his dementation state. But her, her Hermione, when she was in front of the Dementor, yeah. she saw Harry dying, her parents dying, and all of her friends dying. And uh, she still hadn't told him about the terror of dying alone. Somehow that was still too painful. Harry had told her that... Her, that he remembered his parents dying and that he had thought it was funny. Um, and this is a nice uh, distillation of like when he had said thank you to her earlier mm -hmm. and how we were talking before about, you know, the, the OG representation of Dementors was depression. Um, Harry, this, this next little uh, italicized paragraph was, there's no light in the place the Dementor takes you, Hermione, no warmth, no caring. It's somewhere that you can't even understand happiness. There's pain and fear, and those can still drive you. You can hate, and you can take pleasure in destroying what you hate. You can laugh when you see other people hurting, but you can't ever be happy. You can't even remember 
what it was that isn't there anymore. I don't think there's any way that I can ever explain just what you saved me from. I'm usually ashamed to put people in trouble. I usually can't stand it when people make sacrifices for me. But this one time, I'll say that no matter what, what it ends up costing you to have kissed me, don't ever doubt for a second that it was the right thing to do. Like, if you can't get a gracious thank you out of Harry, that's I the way, to, you know. I really, yeah. And this, uh, it Again, like, I'm not, I can't even completely describe what it is. But, uh, yeah, it's just there's, like, a sincerity to it. And a, I think just yeah. sort of like a letting of the guard down. That's really nice. Yeah, I, I. It's nice that he's, you know, like when they first met, you know, there's a lot of like pontificating and mm-hmm. chest puffing and and all this and that, and now, yeah, like you said, a lot of guard letting down. And I think that comes out. That authenticity feels really cool. Yeah. So I just wanted to draw attention to that. Yeah. Um. She she puts the note back in her pouch before you know doesn't read it because she's it says she was frightened of dementors. Um. So she's just not ready to yeah. try and face that yet. So. I like there's something I liked about how um, that her because her fear with the mentors of dying alone felt very specific. Like that was hers. Like it wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily be what anybody's take on it would be. So and then it somehow made it more uh, like powerful over her because it was just hers. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. I guess then we move into aftermath Minerva McGonagall and. Well, I passed uh, over all kinds of stuff in my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're welcome to to drive. I feel like I'm doing a lot of the talking again. No, I'm I'm lost. Where, so, no, I've, I've I've totally gotten everything mixed up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the, he's basically asking her for details on what identified him uh, in the prophecy, and she's oh, yeah. she's saying I'm I can't possibly tell you that, and uh, he was just like you know please I really have a good reason to ask and. Um, you know, he says, does the, does the prophecy literally say Potter? And she, you know, she realizes that this is like an important question and that she can't lightly refuse the request or lightly accede to it. But she just says, no, please don't ask me any more stuff. And uh, what's funny and is she, that yeah, she meant like, no, I'm not going to answer the question. And he thought it was the answer. Um, I thought was it, it was because he then he also like his response to that is, thank you, Minerva. You are a good woman and true, which is a like an odd thing to say. But also... Um, because it stuck out. It wasn't just that, like, oh, that's inappropriate to call her Minerva, but it was a little bit like like the voice of some other person. Like, it wasn't explicitly like that, but there was some kind of hint of that's not really Harry saying that. Oh, man. I, I like that. that was, yeah. The, taking the paranoia even higher. Um, I didn't. <laughs> Did you know, think because it Because I think there was, like, there was like two takes at the, like, oh, he shouldn't have called her that. Uh, he almost called her that when he came out yeah. of dementation. I think it's mainly because, you know, Maybe him calling her Minerva is almost like him calling her mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, no, thanks, mom. I'm good. I mean, I'm sorry, a, Professor McGonagall. I'm good. Um, I, yeah, I think in this, the way I'm reading it is that, like, he didn't come to her as a student and is not going to address her as professor. He's coming yeah. to her as, you know, a conspirator and the people who know about the Dark Lord being alive. And so on that floor, there, he's treating her like an equal rather than he, you know her, his superior yeah. and that's why he calls her by her first name and i guess compliments her it reminds me from um, the original books there's a they made a point in several places where it was like i think it was like largely with snape but people would when the students would call him snape like i think it's dumbledore dumbledore would say you mean professor snape so I think right it stand out more than he would just call her minerva because it's like a thing yeah, to me, instead of, I guess, it being her last name, which is more like, you know, dismissively formal, the first name makes it seem like more uh, like friendship, right? 
Yeah, I guess it's, so. I don't know, and, and this is it was like the sum total of my impression after the fact was just this little itch in the back of my brain that like there's something out of place for him. Not just the like, oh, you're being too familiar with your teacher, but there was like, oh, that was that was a an alien way for him to address her. So there's something up. Interesting. Now, having said I that, like I could the, tell I you like what it was that about. That isn't it. Harry, but unfortunately, this is a Harry POV chapter, and we're in yeah. his head, so we're pretty sure it's him. Harry Harry closed the door behind himself. Um, <laughs> so if it's not him, uh, then then we're certainly up for some mm. deception. But um, what was fun about that that last interaction there with with McGonagall though was that um, he had asked. Actually, I'm, I'm looking through it again. Are the, I don't think I don't think it is Harry POV though. Not this part. I think it all is. Not, well, um, but there's no. Oh wait, like, no, you're right. There's no like, is Hermione, Harry thought. Right. Yeah, we're or not. We don't like Professor McGonagall. Yeah, we're not hearing she's Harry's remembering thoughts. stuff. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, well, that's true. It switches POVs without a line break. That's what yeah. threw me off. Yeah. The boy in her office. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. But one of them says Harry closes the door behind himself. So, in any case, um, but uh, the, like I said, the last thing uh, their interaction was he had asked her, "Does it say Potter?" And what she's saying is, no, um, I'm not going to answer the question, but that's actually the right yeah. answer. And so that's what he hears. And then he leaves and he's like, oh, shit, she, he took my refusal as an answer and the true answer at that. Well, which is funny because then there's, there's like no way to ch- like chase that. But you can't like be like, no, that's not because then you're sort of like revealing what right. the actual answer is, depending on the how on how you feel like saying that's not what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. She can't chase him down the hallway and be like, wait, no, no. I meant to say, no, I'm not answering your question, not no to your question. <laughs> because really the answer is, yeah, oh, wait. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then this is where, like, it it's done in a way where, all right, well, I'll just say what happens. He goes through this long change of inference, this long chain of inferences where he concludes that Dumbledore had willingly condemned his parents to die. And, um, it's 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 done in a way that feels Sherlockian as hell. And, I know it's weird. You know, I, and this, I, yeah, this is another one where I'm like, I'm I'm not sure uh, people hate it when I do this, but like, wh- am I supposed to think this is sketchy or is it just sketchy? Because <laughs> so, it I feels think like a what, very unrealistic. You said you worried that people will hate it. I think what people want you to do is not ask the question, "What am I supposed to think?" I think you're just supposed to think whatever you whatever comes out well, of well, how so you I read guess it. Maybe that, yeah, the reason why I strain so it like, is because so what it, I'm thinking is, well, this is kind of bullshit, and I don't believe it. So I'm trying to be more charitable. And that's than a that. completely fair takeaway. Yeah, I think I was about what you're supposed well, to and here. What and because then and I said this dude like what it reminded me of was when um, uh, when Luscious Malfoy uh, was talking was scolding. Uh, Draco about like the complex I can't remember what the plot was but like what he said was like any uh, dastardly plot that relies on three things going right is doomed to fail uh, and that's what oh yeah the, the tragedy of life yeah. based off of the awesome manga and, and anime called Death Note <laughs> um, yeah but yeah it, like it reminded me of that but like in two ways that both like Harry jumped to so many like logical conclusions to, to arrive at the idea that Dumbledore um, helped his parents get killed um, but the, but also that that plot, even though it, like if having arrived at the decision that that was a plot on Dumbledore's part, uh, even that plot was like kind of like far fetched and and sketchy. Um, yeah, so, Harry didn't receive the same admonitions as Draco yeah. about not having convoluted plans. Yeah. Um, so it's it's hard to say like 
well, I guess, I guess I'm not sure what I'm trying to say other than like if Harry isn't like so so Draco would have noticed like okay that's probably not it because this required seven things to go right yeah um, and uh, Harry wasn't trained on that level of like here's how to do it here's how to execute a plan yeah. that that said all the plan was what, like made, made this like rub me the wrong way was um, because at least like we do so we don't know that okay yeah this was an evil plot by Dumbledore but Harry but it was even it was already far fetched that he deduced. Snape's role in the whole thing, and we know, unless uh, unless this alternate universe is very different, but at least at this point, uh, we know that the part that he deduced about Snape is true, even though it was far fetched that he should have been able to figure it out. So then I'm like, well, really? So and then so then that leads me to believe, okay, like, oh, he's guessed correctly about Dumbledore, but I just don't believe that you really could. Like, there's not enough there, especially because like the it was like little details about like, well, so and so knew, and if they had known. They were, it was so very like f- like far fetched and exactly the Sherlock kind of far fetched. Um, we both joked about like oh it's because the color of the mud on his shoes means that I know that you're a cobbler and, and yeah. Um, yes, and that mud only comes from this one bakery, you know, on on whatever this one street yes. in London. Therefore, I knew it was this person. Yeah. yeah so the whole the whole chain of reasoning has that sort of feel to it. The the only thing in Harry's defense is that he does at least caveat in his thinking if the whole it says in italics if the whole chain of logic was correct Mm. um so at least he's he's acknowledging that like okay cool i've got this this long set of thoughts about why i think uh why i now believe that dumbledore sent voldemort to my house as a baby and had my parents killed um if if all that's true so he he at the end of this he hasn't concluded that dumbledore is the bad guy and that he needs to go to jail like sherlock does what he says that okay now it's time that i actually investigate the character of Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Mm, yes. Which ties into like the little suspicions that Quarrel planted in his head about him. So. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. That yeah, because what was Quarrel's line? You don't, like, you don't learn about subtly people. Subtly and not so subtly yeah. saying, hey, Dumbledore sucks a lot to Harry. Yeah. So. And you don't learn about people by talking only to their friends. That's right. Yes. Well, well we that's go. that. Um, we got to, um, what do they call it? Vamping for time. We got another, uh, yeah, nope. you know, we got to yeah. fill another half hour at least. <laughs> I mean, anything else you want to cover for this section? Um, yeah. No, this is again, it's like a little mini cliffhanger. Not really a cliffhanger, but the, on our next episode, we will be investigating Elvis Dumbledore. Yeah. It, it's a, yeah. Cliffhanger is not the word. It's a, it's a lead up, yeah. I guess. I don't know what the word yeah. is. Um, it's at least saying Harry's come to resolution that he's like, you know what? Everyone keeps telling me I need to learn more about Dumbledore. I should probably finally do that. Yeah. You know, he, he has just like we do this implicit trust of him. Um, and he's like, I should probably like try and figure out if I should actually implicitly trust this guy or not. Yeah. So the serial part like this does like this, it's another little like, Oh, tune in next week. Um, and it really does like help with the pacing of this more so than you would get out of a quote, regular novel. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily, it's not something that I, uh, a non-serialized novel couldn't do but like this helps like sort of it like forces the issue every time and he doesn't do it every time but it just like gives him the opportunity uh, to sort of like structure things in a you know this leads to that leads to that yeah and that's also how I'm trying to structure these these episodes but it, it's it's going to be a challenge like I said just because sometimes some are longer yeah. some you know who knows how long some discussions will take and all that but um in any case, yeah, so this does lead us up to wanting to read the next chapter, which is chapter 47, which will be the only chapter we discuss in the episode after next episode. 
just again, as a reminder, we're doing our retro episode, which is chapters 22 through 37, um, where for next week, and then the week after that, we'll be doing chapter 47. And if that one turns out to be a little shorter than usual, well, this one was a little longer than usual, so it averages out. <laughs> and with that, I think we can call it an episode. And uh, unless, once again, I don't want to cut us off early. If there's anything else you wanted to say to wrap this up, right? It is too late to cut us off early. <laughs> no, All this right. is good. Then I'll, I'll see you guys back next week for our retro episode. I am ready.